1: Use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season.
2: Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato coming to you after another Giants victory. This one to go to three and one. And as usual, it's Monday night, late night for us. Uh, on the East Coast time at least, it's always earlier for Nick. It's always nicer for him. He gets to do these things at normal time. I get to do these things at dumb time. But you know what? We're here. We're dedicated to the craft. The objective here is to get these bad boys out early for you guys on the Tuesday morning for your commutes and everything like that. And it's fun. I mean, we broke down the film. We talked about it before this recording. And we were excited to get into it because, yeah, it's not the most exciting film in the world. We're talking about the offense today. The Giants is through for under 100 yards passing. That's never going to be in the most exciting film you can find. But schematically speaking, given what they had to work with and given currently, let's be fair about the situation, where they feel as far as their drop back passing game goes, you can decide for any reason you want as to why the Giants are not really trying to operate any kind of vertical passing game through the first four weeks of the season. You could say it's all because of the offensive line. You could say it's all because the receivers. You could say it's all because the receivers and the offensive line, because that's what I hear a lot of. I personally think it has to do with all three factors, the quarterback, the receivers, and the offensive line, but that's just my opinion. And right now, they're not trying to operate that. They think they can win games in other ways, at least against these opponents like the Chicago bears. And that's what we saw in this game, a perfect execution of a very specific game plan. That game plan was to beat the Chicago bears with misdirection, with running the football and with timely play calls that caught them off guard. And also took advantage of, as we've talked about, you know, on the reaction pod and throughout Twitter, these last 24, 48 hours, a little bit of undisciplined play from the bears, at least from the run defense, you know, or at least players and specific plays. So, I thought overall, the first thing I would say I learned just from watching the tape, Nick, that I didn't maybe think from the broadcast angle was the Giants did a really, really good job of executing their assignments blocking wise. This goes throughout the offensive line, all five of those players, including guys who are forced to change positions in game like Ben Bredesen and players of that nature. And also the receivers and the tight ends. I thought they did an excellent job blocking and they executed their assignments as well. So that would be the first thing I would say I learned as I focused in on that one angle, obviously the end zone angle, you can tell, man, the giants really came to block in the run game. They bought into the game plan. It wasn't a pretty one. It wasn't a fun one, but that was the game plan and it worked.
1: That and just rushing adjustments that we outlined on the quick reaction podcast. And this is the second game out of four Dan where Mike Kafka and this New York Giants rushing attack did a really good job attacking a predominant overfront. And what I mean by an overfront, whenever it's a four down front, the overfront is when the three technique is aligned to the strong side guard. So the three technique is on the outside shoulder of the strong side guard, where the tight end is. What that does, a lot of NFL teams run strong side. So you want that quick penetration in the B gap to disrupt a lot of those strong side runs. The Giants have figured out a really unique way to run the football against those fronts. Usually it's blocking down, pin-pull concept, pull the center around to the strong side. But even on these weak side runs, they'll pin the one technique and kick backside tackles or backside blockers over to that side as well. I just feel like overall the Giants have done well When they're trying to rush the football against fronts that are deployed in that manner, the one game they struggled was the Carolina Panthers did not employ an overfront. They were more of a tight front nose and then two five techniques just going to clog and then have the linebackers penetrate. So it's one thing that I'm going to monitor going forward to see if the Giants consistently have this success against these defenses that employ these types of fronts.
2: I still feel like if a team wants to play the Giants, like the Panthers played them, and maybe, you know, you'd say to this, and this is a fun debate just to have in football in general, like not every defensive person, not every defense has a personnel to run that, but I still say if the, any team right now wanted to counter the Giants with what the Panthers did with those two five techniques and just a fully clogged middle, the Giants would be pretty screwed, to be completely honest. It's just how I feel watching them. They, they didn't really, I felt like they were pretty much screwed in that Panthers game from an offensive standpoint. They got the job done, obviously, to win the game. They did enough, but that was, I, I think we'd all agree their worst offensive performance of the season, including. The I would say game.
1: the the way to to attack that would be what they did in the second half, which is take advantage of the linebackers' aggressiveness because in order for those those runs to really get bottled up, those linebackers need to come downhill and plug the B gap because you have a nose who's occupying the a gaps and then two five techniques. No one's in the B gap. You need those linebackers to penetrate. And they did. Frankie Lubu, like I said, he looked like Lawrence Taylor out there. So you have to work the play action game and keep them honest or use the play action bootlegs, which we saw a lot in week two. We talked a lot about on this podcast. And it wasn't nearly as much as we saw it on uh, Sunday against the Chicago Bears. It was one of the... Essence to the game plan, and I think it was a big reason that in the Tua situation was a big reason why the Giants didn't want to put Daniel Jones back in there. It was because a big part of this game plan was attack lateral, move the pocket, roll out type plays, these bootleg type plays. When you need a mobile quarterback, Daniel Jones was not mobile after that ankle injury, so Tyrod got inserted into the game, and then he got knocked out. And it was like, okay, what the hell are we going to do? I, I'm still very happy. The Giants found a way to win this football game, despite the fact they lost both of their quarterbacks. Saquon Barkley had to go in in the wildcat package. Luckily, the Giants are creative enough and have the foresight to see that they might utilize that in the red zone. And they had that built into their game plan from previous weeks. And I also felt like Saquon Barkley did pretty well in those situations, reading the defender and making the right read to hand the football off to Matt Breda or keep it.
2: Yeah, he did do a really good job on the spot of kind of operating that wildcat. And he said after the game, like, yeah, Dable was on the sideline kind of old school, drawing the plays up on a grease board. But he said after the game, like, we've had plays installed. Like, we've had this package installed. We've worked on the Wildcat, which is also great preparation on their front. And look, this is the game plan. And I think now that we're seeing it happen in multiple weeks, we can probably expect moving forward. Part of this offense is going to be get, especially, you know, assuming Daniel Jones is healthy. So I I should caveat that by saying we don't really know the status of Daniel Jones's health right now. This is recording this on Monday night after the Monday night football game. All we got from Brian Dable was nothing as we've gotten with all these injuries this year. So who knows? He could be dealing with another high ankle sprain. I don't know. He missed two games last time he had that injury and then really didn't come back looking like himself. He needs the mobility, though. That's clear and obvious right now. And I don't think this was just specific to the Bears and the Cowboys and things of that nature. I think moving forward, this will be a part of every game plan. There will be some packages where they are running the misdirection. They are running the boot action plays and getting Jones on the run, especially because Jones has done a pretty good job of throwing on the run this year. It's been something he hasn't been doing a great job of throughout his career. And it's obviously he's still yet to throw anything downfield off these boot action. I mean, the longest pass he threw is that Bellinger pass, which arguably you could make a case might, might, if it got out earlier, Bellinger has a chance to really make a play on that, but regardless, he's obviously operating the fake. So I don't want to nitpick that, but the point is that was probably the longest throw off of that action we've seen um, in this game. I mean, the Tanner Hudson one was pretty similar distance uh, in that regard, but it still seems like it's going to be a part of their game plan. So the mobility is clutch and, I love how just in this game, they did something different again. Every week, it feels like they do something different for each opponent. This week, it was rely on 13 personnel. 13 personnel is not something we ever expected to see this season. Me and Nick spent hours this offseason promoting and projecting an offense that was barely going to even use 11 personnel. We're like, is there even one tight end to fit in an 11 personnel package? Are they just going to use 10 personnel? What are they going to do? And then they come out and they use 13 personnel with guys like Chris Myrick and guys like Tanner Hudson, who weren't even really part of the team when we projected back in June or when these guys first got the job, when Dable was first hired and was first hired. Um, And then the same thing goes for Bellinger, who's a rookie. So really three on inexperienced tight ends. And they became a big part of this plan. Like throughout this game, that's one of the things I stood out to me on this film, man. They all executed their assignments. Kudos to Galladay. And Sills, too, by the way, those guys did an excellent job blocking as well. But Tanner Hudson has some really freaking great blocks in this game. Bellinger as well. Bellinger has been excellent for the Giants. And so if you're going to use 13 personnel with a bunch of guys you don't expect to use for a lot of snaps like these tight ends. So I I believe played 63, 60 and 54 percent of the snaps, respectively, all three tight ends, which is an insane number based on expectation. Um, And you got to have to execute. And that's exactly what they did in this game. And that played a big role allowing the Giants to win this game.
1: It was a huge role because it allowed the Giants to come out in these unbalanced sets and that forced the defense to adjust to set unbalanced set. So they would align a bunch of like six techniques over those tight ends and account for all those extra gaps that are created by the unbalanced set. And then the Giants were on weak side, and they would block down on the one technique with the guard, pull John Feliciano around, and now it's Saquon Barkley against an alley defender. As long as those backs or those strong side, which happened to be the backside on a weak side run, those backside blocks can hold up, and they did. The Giants blocking was excellent in this game up front from a Bunch of different ways in a bunch of different ways, I should say, just from whether it be pulling, whether it be the duo, the combo blocks climb up to the second level on backside scoops, play side reaches. I just felt like overall the Giants offensive line was was very impressive. And I'm eager to see what your grade is, Dan, and and what decimal point you're going to use (laughs) at the end of this, the end of this podcast in the superlative section, because I was very impressed with what I saw and the way they were able to spring holes open for Saquon Barkley, who was just an amazing running back right
2: now. Yeah, it's funny how night and day, even to me, like both sides of it, the pass protection and the run blocking look versus just six days ago, against the Cowboys and they're coming off the short week. But I also wanted to say part of this what stood out to me about this win on the offensive side of the ball was not only all the things we just mentioned, you know, they're using 13 personnel, they're putting all these tight ends in the mix, they have to block. They're using like you said, they're stacking unbalanced formations with three tight ends on one side then running to the opposite side, doing things of that nature. But part of it was you needed everyone to buy in. And that included the quarterback, Daniel Jones. You needed him to do an excellent job with all of the details in this game as far as it go, as far as the play fakes go. And he executed those really well. And that's not something I think every quarterback would have done. That's not to say I'm giving him too much praise here, but I just feel like that played a role in it too. He executed some excellent ball fakes and did a good job of really selling Barkley with the ball. Like you could easily see like on these plays, by the way that he just handles the ball with one hand it to the other and just kind of the usage of his head. I was watching that specifically. He just shows to the defense one thing and then flips his hips and does something different as far as keeping the ball and running. And so all those things are all part of this game plan that they all clearly bought into every player. They didn't sit back and say, look, this is stupid. We need to try to throw the ball downfield. We need to try. You can't win a football game like this. They said we can win a football game like this, and they did.
1: They did. And, and a lot of it is also Kafka, too, in this scheme. Like, we'll go through it in the drive-by-drive series, but on yeah. the first drive dan they got bottled up on a couple runs so they ended up running weak side but opening daniel jones to the strong side of an unbalanced set might have been a double y set or it might have been the 13 personnel set i think it was double y on on this play and it sprung a long Saquon barkley run but that's important man you open up to the strong side those linebackers are going to react like it's a strong side run and then you misdirection go to the weak side and then they have to basically over pursue we also saw that, not just on that one play that I'm referring to that we'll go over on the second drive, but on the touchdown runs, only Daniel Jones kept it. And that was 13 personnel. Daniel Jones ends up keeping the ball and the linebackers. And I put this up on Twitter are thinking, oh, it's a strong side run. Oh no, it's a weak side run. I got to over pursue now. And now it's in my mind that I have to get over to my gap and stop Saquon Barkley on the weak side. Cause we already were gashed by a weak side run this game, but no, it's actually Daniel Jones keeping the ball. I'm just shocked. Like, yeah, that happens once, maybe twice. I'm just shocked that that worked several different yeah. times. Like if I'm a Chicago bears fan right now, I'm like, bro, what is going on with this defense? They are the most undisciplined group of players I've ever seen. Like, why isn't the coach just not in their ear maintain gap discipline on Daniel Jones. He can run. They just totally forgot that this dude is an athlete.
2: It was really weird game plan from the bears. I wonder in your estimation, Nick, this is something we'll both have to project, but I'm curious to get your take on this. How much of this was Mike Kafka designing a game plan For a team that doesn't have Wondell Robinson, doesn't have Kadarius Toney, and is in the situation they're in at the wide receiver position, plus just came off a game where they gave up, what, the most pressures in a single game by any offensive line this season against the Cowboys? And how much of this was he looked at the film, he saw the Bears could be a team that's going to get overly aggressive, that's not going to have gap discipline, that's going to have plays like we saw where Eddie Jackson is just screaming down into the a gap and Barkley makes one cut to the outside and just like hits an open hole. Like, to me, it felt like it was a combination of those things. But what do you think was that was the, you know, reasoning for him just coming out with such a unique game plan for this specific matchup?
1: I think it's a little column a a little column B. Mm -hmm. I think it's combination of everything. And I also think it's in-game adjustments. Like I said, on that first drive, the bears showed how they were going to play unbalanced sets. So Mike Kafka was like, all right, well, next drive, we're going to show you that same set. And now we're going to run weak side. And guess what? That ended up leading to like an 18-yard run based on that adjustment by Saquon Barkley, who also made a nice cut. And they had good blocking on the pinpole concept with Lewinsky and John Feliciano on that side. I think it's a collective, all of those things put together. So I think we Uh, have to tip our cap to Mike Kafka and we have to tip our cap to the pre-game breakdown and just the film watching that they saw tendencies that could be exploited by this defense which they did but also in game they took advantage of what the defense was throwing at them and they wouldn't stop they couldn't stop the Giants on the ground and it's crazy too Dan because they weren't throwing the football the Giants weren't dropping back to throw traditional passes all that often like watching the film Dan whenever they had like a traditional pass set, I was like oh cool. (laughs) Like everything was move the pocket bootleg, get Daniel Jones going on the move and and use his athletic ability. And it just consistently freaking
2: worked, man. Yeah. It's just another example of a chess match one for the giants. The giants win this game, in my opinion, because of the coaching, the bears could have done what you just said, adjust to what the giants, I mean, look, I put this on Twitter, two of the first, only two of the first 19 plays, Nick, the giants run 11 personnel. Think of how crazy that is, or or you know lighter packages, eleven or lighter, and obviously they didn't run any ten this game. So like, just think how crazy that is. Like, and those were a third and nine and a third and ten situation. That was it. They really just came out, and then the second half it wasn't much different. They like you said, they weren't really, they weren't showing the Bears pass at any point. They weren't spreading it out. They weren't putting light fast personnel on the field. To be quite honest, part of that could just be they don't really have any speed left to put out there besides Breda and Barkley. To me, it's almost like a treat in some ways when Brita comes on the field. Cause I know there's actual some, sp- there's more, there's more speed on the field. Like Parker, it's like David Sills and Kenny Galladay are providing literally zero speed at any point at when they're on the field. And there were a lot of snaps with just those two at receiver. And even Richie James has like nice little, like can juke and like kind of get open in short areas, but he doesn't have much, in my opinion, he doesn't have real speed. Like I feel like Brita has more juice than him. And so, I think part of it is just like, why would we play 11 personnel when we don't really have the guys to play 11 personnel with? And do we really trust right now Daniel Jones to operate with those receivers out of 11 and our offensive line to block long enough with those receivers out of 11 and Daniel Jones as a quarterback out of 11? And that's a question for a later date, because, look, let's be honest, Nick, we don't need to project forward now, but this ain't going to work every week. This game plan doesn't win you a Super Bowl. This game plan doesn't really win you playoff games, to be completely honest. And that's okay. Against the Bears, who are arguably going to be worst, one of the worst teams in football, most likely, I think, when all is said and done, it works. And that's what you should do, right? Like, you shouldn't go to 11 and start throwing it out and airing it out and then throw an interception that gets returned for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, you lose a game by three points because you gave up a pick six. This was exact game plan. It worked. And it it, it I wouldn't call it the most exciting thing to watch on film, but it was exciting to see the Giants moving people in the run game. That part of it was exciting. So we haven't seen that in a while. We're going to get to that.
1: Exactly. And I will say this, though, Dan. You're right. This is not a game plan that's going to win you a Super Bowl, but something that will win you a Super Bowl. And I don't think the Giants are there yet. Not, not a lot of us have delusions of grandeur about the New York Giants right now. But one thing that will win you a Super Bowl is a coaching staff with timely adjustments based on what their opponent is showing them. And I feel like the Giants have that on both sides of the football right now. In Mike Kafka and in Wink Martindale, and with Brian Dable too as the head coach, right. just overseeing Kafka and helping him along as as he develops as a coach and a play caller. So that's that is the foundation to a Super Bowl team right there. So the Giants roster is not there yet. Of course not, right? But the foundation of the Super Bowl team is actually having the coaches in place. And that is something that the New York Giants, all New York Giant fans should know by this point, because we've seen coaches get cycled in here two years and out, two years and out, two years and out. And we saw with Coughlin, what a Super Bowl winning head coach was like. And now we're starting to see, and it's premature, yes, but we're starting to see signs that give us encouragement that Dable could be that guy. because. It's still early. He's only coached four games at the professional level, and the Giants are 3-1. and one. The NFL could catch up to him. The NFL could figure him out. All that could still happen. But in terms of just the adjustments on the field and game planning against opponents and not being rigid within your system, all the coordinators here and the coaches do not fall in line with being rigid. And that's something that I truly appreciate as a fan and someone who covers this team.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. We keep saying they have a coaching edge, but like you don't have to just believe us and take our word for it. The film shows it. You guys see it on the broadcast. They've won three of four games where they could have easily lost all four, to be completely honest. and In past years, they might have. And at the same time, like what stands out the most to me, and I put this on Twitter as well, Nick, you have two guys. One comes from Kansas City. The other comes from Buffalo with two of the highest two of the best passing attacks in the NFL. They were able to, to, one, Kafka's within us. He didn't develop that system, and he's not calling the plays there in KC, but he worked within that system. Dable calling the plays, his system in Buffalo, those were aerial attacks. Dable threw the ball more than any coach in the league last year. We expected him to throw the ball a lot. Like, even with our personnel, we're like, you know what? It's probably going to be a lot of throwing. This is just what he does. And in the preseason, we saw a lot of throwing. And even Dable said at the time, like, I didn't really want to show my hand in the run game. I didn't want to... Let I didn't want to do anything but basic runs. I kind of, and that kind of gave me a, it should have gave us a little hint, like maybe there is a big plans for this run game. Um, and it's just great to see two coaches who come from or aerial first attack by far with the Chiefs and the Bills completely just throw all that out, right? Just say, We don't have that right now. We cannot run that attack. It's not gonna give us a chance to win, or at least our best chance to win. And so they scrap it and they pick up something new and put the ball in Saquon Barkley's hands. And honestly, right now, like besides Saquon Barkley running the ball, Nick. What's the second best thing on this giant's offense might simply just be Daniel Jones running the ball. Like, is it Daniel Bellinger running a route and after the catch? No. Is it Richie James? No, he doesn't have much after the catch. Is it Kenny Galladay? Is it David Sills? Is it any of the other tight ends? No, 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 no. Right now, the second best offering this offense probably has is Daniel Jones as a runner.
1: It's taking advantage of the defense's desire to shut Saquon Barkley down. That's what it is. And in turn, the byproduct of that is Daniel Jones exploiting them with his legs. So literally this, this offense, this offense is success. They're not throwing the football. They haven't thrown for 200 yards in any game through four games. That's, that's pretty crazy. The fact that they're three and one, but, but they're, exploiting the defense because they want to shut Saquon Barkley down so bad that they're forgetting about Daniel Jones. And that is the second biggest factor to this team's success right now. It's still a byproduct of Saquon Barkley, which goes to show you how important Saquon Barkley is to what they're doing right now.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. They really, if if Saquon Barkley went down, I don't even know what they would do. So we got to knock on wood and just hope that doesn't happen as far as this goes. Although it might be, you know, we might see even more from the coaches then. Who knows? I don't want to limit them, and I don't want to put them in a box and say they couldn't scheme around it. Because so far, all they've shown to me is that they're doing a great job with everything that's been put in front of them. So we're going to dive into the film as Nick referenced or as Nick alluded to a bit earlier. We are going to be trying to also record this as a video currently while we break down the plays and put the all-22 film up. We'll see if we release that. (laughs) We have work to do after this to see if it will work. It's our first trial run. But you might be getting a chance to watch this on YouTube. I I know like half of you have reached out to me or Nick at some point and been like, we want to watch the plays as you talk them through. And we get it. It would make it a lot better. So that's the objective for today. Before we dive into this drive-by-drive, Nick, and start breaking down some film. I wanted to go over some Giants news today and I didn't really feel like there was any podcast better to do it on. So let's just fire it all in now. The first being they worked out Landon Collins, former Giants safety, and they ended up signing linebacker AJ Klein. What are your thoughts on that? Both of those news items and if you think now that they sign Klein that they won't be uh potentially signing Collins or if those two things are unrelated. First, Klein has
1: Experience with Brian Dable. Now, Brian Dable is obviously an offensive guy, but I'm sure he will slide in and fit with the culture and probably be a leader at the linebacker position. And I feel like they might need a leader. I mean, Jalen Smith can be that guy. He's 27. He's been around the league, been in multiple systems. But I'm not opposed to the AJ Klein signing. But I will say this: I'm a little excited about Landon Collins, and I don't know what he has athletically, but I do know that he is a physical presence in the run game, and he can come downhill. And if he can offer any anything in coverage, I feel like. It's a slight excitement with him coming in. And I'm trying to to think if it's just me being nostalgic at the fact that Lannon Collins could be coming back because he did have a successful run here when he was in his rookie contract. But I'm open to it right now. I'm open to it. I think is the best way to, to say it. And I think any kind of competent veteran bodies who have some semblance of athletic ability to the second level, I think that can still help. It's just depth at this point. I don't know if they're going to be playing, especially the way Tay Crowder and Jalen Smith played, but I still welcome the depth because I still think there's back-end roster pieces right now on this roster that are expendable.
2: Yeah, I really like the Klein move. I don't think he's going to be any kind of all the sudden star for this team i don't think he even really fits exactly what wink wants personally as linebackers everything i've read and heard from wink is he thinks you have to if you don't have speed at 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 the mic position you're you're nothing in the nfl today and so this guy's not really going to bring that but what he's going to bring is an opportunity for the giants to never no offense to him this is not supposed to be mean but ever have to put austin kalitra on the field again and quite frankly that's a good thing i think they learned something in week three when watching that tape they learned like we can't ever let this happen again. We wanted to stop the Cowboys in the run game and we weren't able to. And a big factor was that we had Kalitra on the field for 30 plus snaps. And so that I think can be eliminated when Klein gets up to the mix. Now with Jalen Smith, who we'll talk about tomorrow and the defensive pipe is going to be so much more fun. To be completely honest, at least from my, just from watching through right both these sides, it was a defense game. Let's be honest about it. defense and Barkley and some misdirection with Jones. But, it's going to allow them the opportunity to kind of now have three linebackers they can sort of rely on in Jalen Smith, AJ Klein, once he gets up to speed and take Crowder. Now, as far as Landon Collins goes, I am also irrationally excited over the possibility of him returning to the Giants. I've seen, you know, look, I didn't watch his film with the Washington football team, so I don't know exactly how far he fell off there. Who knows if he's even healthy now? I think he's had some time to recover and heal up and train, but. He can offer this defense something that I've thought they haven't had really since Peppers got hurt last year, and that's that really physical alley defender. Like I was going to come down and make sure that if you're running perimeter on the Giants, you're going to have to account for where he is going to be 21 if he gets that number back and if he signs with the Giants. Neither happened yet today. Because he's going to come down, he's going to hit you hard, and he was a really sure tackler in his Giants days too. It wasn't just he was just some missile shooting downhill like a like that dude who the Raiders drafted from who ended up being a boss, the first round safety. I forget. Jonathan that. Abram. Jonathan Abram. Like he's not like a Jonathan Abram. He was like a solid short tackler as well. Coverage isn't is an issue. It's a liability for him for sure, but. That's only if he's playing like a traditional safety role. I feel like if the Giants signed him, Wink can use him in some kind of non-traditional role. Because that's what he does with all these defenders. He finds roles that they fit in. And so to have him in the alley using that physicality and also as a blitzer as well, by the way. Because Wink likes to use his defensive backs as blitzers. Like to use anyone as a blitzer. And so I just feel like as long as you don't have him playing, you know, 100% of the snap share as a traditional safety there's not much downside to signing a Landon Collins type to a vet man or whatever it would cost type of deal. So I'm, I'll just, of course, I'm irrationally excited about getting back a player who, literally to me in 2016, deserved Defensive Player of the Year. And there's stats that back that up because when Troy Palomalu won his Defensive Player of the Year a few years before that, the only other safety to ever win that award, Collins actually had better stats his 2016 season than Palomalu had in that season. So he's, you know, Five six years removed from that right now, which is obviously not not. It's obviously notable, but we're not asking him to be that player. We're asking him to fill a specific role. So I'm definitely irrationally
0: excited. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Because it will brutally murder your thirst and the recyclable tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles i've tried liquid death and i am still here i'm not plastic nor am i thirsty anymore because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors severed lime the lime became severed because it messed with another liquid death flavor mango chainsaw which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit? Go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or hy or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com bigblue. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then oddstrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and... Bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to OddsTrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's OddsTrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. I'm wondering what that would do to Tony Jefferson, though, because Tony Jefferson seems to be feeling that, hey, I'm on the practice squad, and every now and again, I'm going to get called up to the active roster to play 15 snaps, 10 snaps here or there, and probably make a couple good plays while I'm out there. So I'm wondering what, how exactly that would work and who would be prioritized, a Landon Collins or a Tony Jefferson? Because I feel like Landon Collins offers a little bit more as that hybrid linebacker, although I think Tony Jefferson could do that to an adequate level. But Tony Jefferson is more athletic, and you could trust him more in
2: coverage, and he knows the system much better. Yeah, and that's fair. And that could be a, a big part of why they just didn't sign him today. They probably looked at him. And maybe, honestly, like given the news surrounding Klein a few hours after, it's possible. They looked at him as a linebacker. I don't know. I don't know what what they, how that meeting went, but something to keep an eye on because I don't think it's ruled out. I don't think they said anything like we're moving on. There are no reports suggesting they're done with this Collins decision. So last thing I wanted to talk about was a report that surfaced just an hour or two before we started recording um Jasina Anderson first reported or it's been reported by a bunch of these people that Odell Beckham Jr was at the Giants team facility today walking around meeting with players we've seen like a ton of conflicting reports on it lately Art Stapleton's like he stopped by to get a notebook and say hi to Sterling Shepard and then we heard that you know Jasina was like I don't know and justina kind of went with a little back and forth like I don't know are you sure that's what it is so she kind of stoked the flames I guess you could say Nick and then we've seen like you know Odell's not recovered so he, he's he's What I've from what I've learned, he's probably waiting until November to start taking those free agent visits. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on? We can we can dive into this maybe another time. We'll probably if we do a mailbag, we'll probably get a question about it. But what are your thoughts on the potential reunion with Odell Beckham Jr. and the Giants? I'm fine with the reunion if he's willing to do it, and I just don't think it makes a lot of
1: sense for him to do that when he can probably sign with the Packers or or teams that actually have a chance to win the Super Bowl right now. That's kind of where I'm at. But if he's willing to do it, I yeah, I would welcome Odell Beckham back. I, I think Odell Beckham, I don't think he's the locker room cancer that a lot of other people believe him to be. I, I still think he made a lot of probably dumb mistakes is probably the best way to put it when he was with New York. But I still think he's a team player, and I think he would buy in, and I think he would help develop whoever the hell is that quarterback if he can be half of the receiver that he was last year in the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, look, I'm open I'm very open to this just based on how the depth chart looks right now at receiver and their just desperation need for any kind of speed. And juice. I just call it juice. I just don't that's what it looks like to me when I watch this film, man. There's just no juice from any of these receivers right now running these routes, um, with the exception of Richie James. But again, he gets a jo- done job like he gets the job done, I should say, more with nuance, nuance to his route running and just more with just being in the right position at the right time. I need short area quickness. He has short good area of- quickness. He's definitely yeah. got short area quickness, and that's but I want some over the top. I want some vertical quickness. You know, I want some deep area quickness um, and overall speed. Uh, Yeah, quickness is probably not the right word. Just speed in the deep half. As far as Beckham goes, look, I was pretty open about it at the time when I was covering the Giants 24-7 sports. I think if they were getting the version of Odo Beckham before the Giants traded him, I would not want him to sign with this team. Because I thought back at that point, he was not the same mature person that he is now from everything I've seen. I think he's been humbled, to be completely honest with the situation. And it's not just that he's been humbled. I'm not trying to paint this character of him in some way. I just feel like the thing, he it got a little too big for him with the Giants. I remember, again, covering that training camp that the one I covered, it was one of the, uh, I believe either the McAdoo years or the Shermer years, I can't remember. Um, And it was just such a different set of rules for Odell Beckham in the locker room when you're trying to get, you know, questions for him or anything like that at practice. Everybody, you know, the fans are googly eyes over him and it just, he's running different drills. Just that version of Odell, I don't think would fit right now, but a different version of him, someone who's been through a lot more hardship since he went to a Browns team that just didn't work out. Now we're starting to learn a lot of that had to do with the fact that he had Baker Mayfield, at quarterback. And then he went to the, to the Rams things clicked immediately with Stafford. And as you can see today from watching the Rams on Monday night football without having a vertical threat in that offense. And Alan Robinson's obviously not that anymore. That offense is, it's, it's not looking good at all. And this is just goes to show, man, if you don't have vertical threats at receiver, it changes a lot of what you can do as an offense. Um so the, anyway. The offensive line is very bad. Yes, it's right. another problem. They didn't fix their old line, they had no assets left, and they lost Whitworth. But the fact of the matter is, this version of Odell, I would definitely welcome back if he's willing to come here. Like you said, it doesn't really make too much sense for him. It never really did. Um <laughs> especially if he's like, imagine Odell like watching this game last week where the Giants threw for 71 passing yards. Like, who would in their right mind want to come back to that let's let's be fair about the situation as fans and just kind of recognize that he has other opportunities himself to like go to a team like Nick said that can win or in my mind go to a team that has a freaking damn good quarterback that's going to toss him balls on target all the time with velocity at all levels of the field and so I don't know we'll see what happens but Maybe he wants to rewrite his ending to his Giants story. So if that's the case, he might prioritize the Giants. We'll find out. But I did want to bring up both of those things.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Definitely talking points. And I think he has to get healthy first. And I hope nothing for the best for Odell Beckham Jr. I think it would be cool if he could come back here when the Giants are a little bit more competitive or now. But he's what, 28 right now, 29 years old been in the league since 2014 has a couple of really serious injuries under his belt. I'm not sure how athletic he is at this point, but even with that, I'm I'm still welcoming him back because he is definitely better than anything the Giants are trotting out there at wide receiver right now.
2: Yeah, and we'll see what happens with the health of the guys like Tony and Wondell. That's the big stuff for the Giants right now. I mean, those guys are they're, they're the lifelong. They need those guys back as soon as possible. Hopefully they can get one of them back, at least for this Packers game. So far, all we're hearing from Dable is more day to day and more. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Kind of they're progressing, quote unquote. So let's start. Let's dive right into this film. We start this game off for the Giants with a three and out. Not excellent. Not great. Probably not what we want here. We got the film fired up here on the screen. We can take a look at it as we go. We're not going to have comments about every single play, so we can flip around, Nick. But where do you want to start on this drive? What stood out to you?
1: I want to start on this second and 10 run. The first and 10 just went for a no gain, just because I feel like it sets up things in the second on the second drive where the Giants were able to really run the football. Because as you can see here, you have the double Y set and then you motion David Sills in, who I'm imagining is the emergency tight end if one of these three tight ends got injured tight. So you basically have three tight ends and overloaded looks, something the Giants had a lot of success running, Right. So you basically have a three six techniques essentially lined up over the top. That's a lot of bodies over to that side. So the Giants are just going to hand the football off to Saquon Barkley here, and you just get this hard crash down the line of scrimmage from the three tight end side, and Saquon Barkley just basically gets swallowed up here. And I want everybody to, to remember this play, because the Giants are going to come out in a formation on the next drive and then run to the weak side, where you see over here that there's not a lot of people there and how they do that is they block down with ben bredesen on this one technique only it will be flipped and then you pull john feliciano lead block to pick up the will linebacker so this is one of the adjustments we were talking about earlier in the podcast here is just how they were able to be like okay it didn't work this is how they played it they're going to play it like that again let's do something different and exploit it and that's exactly what they do on the next drive
2: in-game coaching adjustments awesome stuff from kafka and the Giants staff the third and long the only thing two interesting things that, that stood out to me on this play are i'm sorry yeah on this play were one they had tanner hudson lined up as like a number two receiver almost in this play oh yeah and two they ran at one of my favorite route combinations which once again didn't create the best of separation this is kind of two weeks in a row or at least the last two that come to my mind of the post wheel combination on the right side of the formation which i just love post wheel It's not really there at any point. It feels like as you guys are watching this, if you're watching along, no real point of separation there. By that point, Jones is flushed out of the pocket as well with a good blitz by the Bears, and they sent extra guys here to go after Jones. But good to see that. I like that being a staple of this playbook. I think the Giants will hit a big play at some point on post-wheel.
1: Yeah, post wheel is a great way to take advantage of this part of the field right here for those who are watching the deep third or the deep fourth, if you're in a cover three or cover four respectively, or if you're in match, because essentially you're going to run the post from the number one receiver on the outside, and that's going to suck that deep third receiver inside and then you run a wheel and as long as this number two receiver running the wheel right here can create any kind of vertical separation against this defender if it is say cover three match is going to match him and carry him vertical off the curl flat then you can spring a big play because the deep third is cleared out so it's all about creating separation with this wheel route and clearing out that deep third defender but the giants have never really had success with that since they ran it basically every game this season but i will say this the, the Bears tried to do this against the Giants because the Giants aligned in in cover three a bunch in this game, as they tend to do. And and uh, what's his name? Luke Getze attempted to take advantage of the Giants and almost connected with a touchdown to EQ St. Brown, but Fabian Moreau read it very well, yes. came off, flipped his hips, and played through the catch point to force an incompletion. So there's a lot of teams who are trying to use this vertical concept. And I also like how on this play you could see Tanner Hudson realizes I don't have vertical leverage right here. So what does he do? Cuts it off on the comeback. That's one of those choice routes that we're talking right. about a little bit. Now it's not as traditional of a choice route. Like, Oh, Saquon Barkley has a two way go. Which way is he going? But it's just Tanner Hudson realizing I don't have the leverage here. Daniel Jones is going to realize he doesn't have the leverage there. So what is he going to do? I'm going to cut it back towards the sideline because this defender is inside and high on me. I can go outside and low and I'll be open. It's just didn't connect on this play.
2: Yeah. And small screen, but, I'd say we're two for two now on these play breakdowns with the film alongside. I think these are working well so far, Nick, and we'll have to have the viewers decide after we decide to upload this. And if you're listening traditionally, uh, bear with us. There might be some more, you know, talk about this type of thing. We're trying to get this all underway and try to, you know, give the viewers and the listeners a better feel. So anyway, we roll on to the next drive after that three and out. And this one's a good drive for the Giants. This one results in a touchdown play for the Giants. So they, they get down there. They don't bog down in the red zone. They're not kicking field goals like they did all last season. Um, and so we start here with the, uh, play action rollout on the first down play. Now, this is a question I had for you. You can run through the play, Nick, and then I'm going to ask you a question about, uh, the decision here to, to go to Bellinger
1: play. This is a play action rollout for nine yards to Daniel Bellinger, where I feel like Mike Kafka does just an absolutely excellent job using Daniel Jones' legs. That's no surprise, but also isolating defenders and putting them in conflict. First off, watch Evan Neal right here, if you can see number 73. So this is the play action rollout to the rollout side is to the boundary side. So Evan Neal is aggressively blocking down on the one technique. Evan Neal absolutely tosses his guy out of the club. So great to see that kind of power from Evan Neal, even though it's a more simpler block to make. But Daniel Jones rolls out. And he evades a linebacker in pursuit because Daniel Jones erases angles like he Saquon Barkley. And what I love about Kafka, and this is, he uses RPO in this manner in terms of attacking laterally and getting Daniel Jones on the running, putting defenders into conflict. But Daniel Jones, when he's running down the line of scrimmage and he's behind the line of scrimmage, he can still throw the football. He puts a defender here in conflict. If you're watching right. on the screen, you could see you have two tight ends who are in the flat off of the play action boot. Daniel Jones right there. If Daniel Jones can run right here, And pick up four yards. That's something that this defender needs to choose. Does he stay in coverage right here or just allow Daniel Jones to pick up four yards? He's in straight conflict right here. The defender commits to Daniel Jones a little bit late. Daniel Jones just dumps the football to Daniel Bellinger and ends up going for nine yards. And this is something that we've seen every single week, specifically since week two, where Mike Kafka has got Daniel Jones out on the edge and then put one of those DBs, one of those cornerbacks into conflict. And I was like, all right, you make a choice. Whatever choice you make, you're done. You're going to be wrong. So have fun and go at it. And Daniel Jones is really good at making the defense pay in these situations. So little plays like this go for nine yards and they really kind of start to stack up. And it also sets up the second one we're about to go over.
2: And it's interesting to me on this play. You can run it back real quick because I want to ask you about something. But first I want to say I got into a little bit of a, a Twitter debate with one of the people today who was basically saying like, you know, there is no noticeable difference with the coaching staff We're, you're just, you're just seeing a healthy Barkley and that's the difference. And I would counter that by saying, Nick just gave you a great example of how the coaching difference is actually playing out for the giants. And if you're watching along, you see ever since week two with that Daniel Bellinger play, that touchdown play there. And, and with other plays they designed that week, the giants have done a great job of putting defenders in conflict with Jones on the run. It's almost like in like, it's like an RPO on the edge is how I'm looking at it. Like not a traditional RPO in any way, but the sense in the sense that Jones has a run or pass option. And that makes it really difficult when you have one defender making decision. Do I commit to Jones who's rolling and has proven over and over again, he can pick up 10 yards a pop or more as a runner or Do I commit to one of these inside tight ends or whatever it may be breaking? And and do I not let him have the easy completion? And either way, it's a win for the Giants. And so, alone in that sense, if that's all Kafka and Dable did, I would say they're coaching better than what we've seen in the past because we didn't see a lot of putting defenders in conflict. To be completely honest, in the Jason Garrett offense, it wasn't really a big part of the scheme to get Jones on the run, at least not in this regard. So I thought that was great. I want to back it up a little, though, Nick, and ask I've seen on a lot of these design boot actions so far this season in over route coming open early and the ball not being thrown there. In this example, it was David Sills. Is this just in is this just a clear um, you know, result of on all these design plays, you need time for the quarterback to take time to get out. You need time for the quarterback to beat the defensive end. And in this case, I think it's clearly obvious that Jones would have had a really tough time getting the ball to Sills. He would have probably had to throw it while taking a massive hit. But I feel like in other cases that hasn't been the case. Um, so I'm just curious if part of it is he has to get fully through, you know, that rollout, that boot action, and then diagnose what's on the field. Or if at times you think that, that those, those, those over routes have been the best option.
1: I think he whips his eyes around and sees a defender right in his face. And then he has to go right into basically flight mode. So I need to evade this defender and Daniel Jones is athletic enough to do so. So he just outruns him. And once that happens, the over route is eliminated and it's, Luckily, the over route also took both of these defenders that you see on the screen right here and made them drop to a depth that's going to open up the tight ends underneath. So now Jones probably scanned the field, saw that the over route was eliminated and saw two tight ends in the flat with one defender and him running directly at the defender. So he has three options and the defender can only make one choice. So that's just a win-win at that point, abandon the over route and just take what's there. And it ended up going for nine yards, which I would say is a pretty good gain on a play like this.
2: Yeah, and we'll look at one later where I think there's a better example. that. on this one, I think you're right. It was fight or flight. Um, and we'll take a look at that that play later and decide based on that. The next play we want to get to here in our breakdown is this 18-yard weak side run by Saquon Barkley, a really good example and a really good early sign of, you know what, this run game is It's going to stick it to the Bears because it's not necessarily like they're going against any kind of light box here. If you look at how the Bears are aligned for the snap, if you're watching along, this is truly, for the most part, an eight-man box with – what can be argued five man in the line of scrimmage. Now this is a good example of what Nick talked about earlier, which is the giants lining with this unbalanced set with the three tight ends on the left side of the formation. So Nick talk about why this worked and how the giants were able to spring such a big run early. Yeah. So the,
1: so Mike Kafka ran the ball on, first, on the first drive, like we said, and it was played really well and everyone crashed down to the, on a strong side run. So this time Daniel Jones is just going to open to the weak side and you see you have two six techniques right here over the top of these tight ends. They're accounting for those extra gaps over there, but look to the weak side, just like on that first drive, there's openings here. So instead of having a double team on the one technique, like on the first drive, just pin pull block down with Mark Lewinsky here and pull John Feliciano to the will, have Evan Neal take the end man on the line of scrimmage right here, and then have Ben Bredesen, who's over the bubble right here, he's uncovered, climb up to this linebacker, this Mike linebacker, and take him on. And then just block on the back side and just scoop block and do not allow them to pursue to the front side of the play, which is the weak side. And that's exactly what happens. Ben Bredesen throws a key block. Mark Lewinsky blocks on the pin, this defender basically creates a pick on this linebacker. So now it's just on John Feliciano to take this linebacker who's trying to fill. Saquon Barkley, look at that little jump cut right there. Very subtle, right? Very subtle. Evan Neal doesn't have the best block, but he finds the hole. Andrew Thomas just absolutely buries his dude right yeah, there. You see does. that? And then Saquon Barkley just takes it for 18 yards. But this is an adjustment by Mike Kafka and by Brian Dable right here to be like, okay, Chicago on the first drive played it this way. So let's run it to the weak side now and see if they can account for it. And guess what? They cannot. They just change the blocking up just a little bit. Instead of the double team, you just pin pull, you pick up the weak side linebacker and bye-bye Saquon Barkley.
2: Yeah. And it was awesome to see Andrew Thomas on that down block, just driving his guy into the dirt. Whenever you see any of our Giants offensive linemen putting their defender that they're on on the ground by the end of the play, that's a great sign. I love what you said. The new, the little, the little things to notice about Ben Bredesen, his execution on the play, Mark Lewinsky, his execution on the play. There were a lot of plays that I felt like on film, Nick, watching this Giants run game, where it's not just like one amazing block by someone here or a combo block. It's really all of those players on the offensive line and including the tight ends, as we talked about at the top of the podcast executing their assignments at the same time and x ex- and that's the difference like as you see on this play you just broke it down perfectly everyone needs to execute their assignment here and from evan neal to bredesen to gluinski to even andrew thomas who probably plays the maybe the least of that role just to where this runs design but still has to be there and even like you said the tight ends have their job to do on this play and so it was a good sign of things that come i felt like in this game like you said just from the adjustment standpoint from blocking and sync. And for players like Glowinski and Bredesen, I both felt like Glowinski, it could be argued maybe week one was his best game. I would probably say this was his best game. But for somebody like Bredesen, this was, I thought, clearly his best game so far for the Giants this year.
1: Yeah, Bredesen, all those blocks right there were really good. But Bredesen had a good game in my estimation. And then on this next play, this first and 10, just to show it from this angle, the sideline angle, this is a zone read with RPO tags on it. So this is kind of what we were talking about. We saw this the last two weeks. You have two options right here, basically high-lowing this defender and Daniel Jones. This defender is getting expanded laterally because the tight end is in the flat. Who's accounting for Daniel Jones? You have a safety coming down? Like that's the only person who's going to account for Daniel Jones. But there was a player to account for him, but he's not disciplined. Look at him. The back, this is the re defender right here. If this defender stays put, Daniel Jones hands the football off to Saquon Barkley, and it ends up being whatever gain the Giants end up getting. But that defender crashes down hard on Saquon Barkley. As you see, nobody counts for Daniel Jones first of well first of many times in this game (laughs) and if Daniel Jones doesn't want to keep this football he does for six yards he has a tight end in the flat and then David Sills running the seven round so there are just so many options for Daniel Jones this puts the the defense into a position where they're constantly thinking they're constantly hesitating and they're constantly unsure on what they're exactly supposed to do if they are undisciplined and not well coached and I'm sorry I don't know too much about the Chicago Bears I've only watched one and a half you know I guess you could say two games full of them this season but this right here and they were not this bad against the Texans this right here was not a disciplined or well coached defense
2: yeah and that's an excellent point by you and I just love how, you know, a lot of what I watched with Mike McDaniel and the job he's done with the Dolphins prior to the two a concussion was a lot of it's not the exact style of offense or the same exact scheme or game planning. But a lot of what made what's made them so successful is what you said, giving the quarterback options with the, with each pass or with the run and just putting defenders in conflict. That's the key here. Like you said, there is that option for him to run on the run, just toss that ball out there to Bellinger. And we've seen him do it. We've seen him make that decision. It's up to him. He decides here to take the run. And like you said, it's kind of just easy money for the Giants. It also gets
1: your offense in a rhythm. It keeps the defense on the field. So now they're gassed a little
2: bit.
1: Clock is churning. You're just matriculating the football down the field. It's just, there's really not a lot of bad that can come from it. If you have a quarterback who is decisive and comfortable executing those assignments, and Daniel Jones is decisive and comfortable executing those assignments. For sure. Okay, let's take a look at the next play here that you want to go over. Well, this is just a. I just I'm just showing this for the for the YouTube audience. We should run
2: through a bunch of plays on the film, Nick, and kind of just like let them run and then get to the ones that we, I guess, want to touch on. We're still trying again. We're workshopping this. We're figuring it out.
1: Absolutely. But this is just a strong side run. You could just see, uh, I just wanted to bring up for those watching, look how the Chicago defense, this is the same type of formation that sprung the 18 yard run to the weak side. Now, look, it's played a little bit different. Instead of having the six techniques on the line of scrimmage, the linebacker drops off of the line of scrimmage. So there's about a four yard difference. So now Daniel Bellinger has an easier path up to the second level. And he could step outside and create the giants can create a seal on the outside, just like those tight ends do. And this brings a nine yard run by Saquon Barkley, but you can see the chess match here by the Chicago bears. They were lined up right in those tight ends face before. And now they're backing off a little bit. And that's now allowing the giants to have success to run to the strong side, because it's giving the tight ends to the strong side, this double Y set better angles
2: up to the second level. Yep. Excellent breakdown. All right. What's the next play we want to touch on on this drive, Nick? 13 personnel is what we have here, Dan, and this is uh,
1: another play of the Bears not showing any discipline whatsoever, <laughs> but I love
2: the poll a lot
1: about this play. Yeah, I love the poll. I love a lot about this play because
2: pull's excellent.
1: The pull is excellent, but Daniel Jones opens up to the strong side. I said this at the top, the strong side, three tight ends, unbalanced set. There's a lot of gaps to account for right here. If you're the Chicago Bears defense, so Daniel Jones opens up to that side and that gets the defense. You can see them all reacting, but they see Andrew Thomas pulling from the backside of this play to the weak side. So Daniel Jones then really sells it and acts as if it's a halfback misdirection to yeah. the weak side. All the linebackers scrape in that direction. Everybody crashes down. The three technique penetrates to the inside, and Daniel Jones just tucks the ball right to his balls right there, as you can see.
2: Look and then at he that just- second level, man. Look at the second level of Bears defenders. If you're watching along with us, every single one of those linebackers at the second level, one, two, three, are scraping over the top there. That is so well sold. And you also have
1: the three tight the ends back, right? on the on the rollout side. So all they do is block down and then you have Tanner Hudson release into a route and the giants ran this again for the touchdown. They also ran it another time where they connected. (laughs) They connected with Tanner Hudson on the pass. So right here, you see Tanner Hudson just bringing number six all the way downfield and Jones just obliges and takes it all the way into the end zone here. Good block by
2: Hudson, by the way.
1: Great block by Hudson, but the, the, like the devil is in the details, right? Right. Everyone like, opening up to the strong side and then showing a halfback misdirection really gets those defenders to be like oh crap man you know i might be out of place i gotta really right. pursue i gotta really crash down here we were already burnt on this weak side run right. but it was all a ruse the entire time like in the in the bears defensive mind they're all thinking like oh geez like they, they have so many things that they have to mm-hmm. account for and so many things that they're thinking about during this play and the giants it, it they didn't even think of daniel jones like they didn't even account for Daniel Jones, no one accounted for him. And it wasn't just once or twice or three times. It was like seven times in this game.
2: And just to give you an idea of how diverse the Giants run game was and the actual fits they were, and I'm not just talking about their traditional run game, I'm talking about everything we're going into, the Jones design runs as well. And the fits that it gave them, there's a play we'll get to at some point. And, and I didn't really notice it until I looked at Uh, Over Nick's notes after going through my film notes where you could just see before the snap, how unsettled the second level bears defenders are. They're just at a point and the giants just run duo, but they're at a point where they're just like uncertain of what's going to come from this giants run game. And it's amazing to me that you can put a defense so on their heels in a game where you don't throw the ball, where you're a one dimensional offense for the most part. I mean, obviously they threw off some of these boot plays, but like, and they threw when they had to on some third and longs, but for the most part, it was a one-dimensional game plan, and yet they still found a way to find so much diversity from that style of offense. So just kudos to the Giants on that. Yeah, absolutely. The first and 10 play too, Dan, right here,
1: is an 11-yard run by Barkley. And I just wanted to bring this up because Andrew Thomas blocks two defenders here. Watch. He eliminates the penetrating linebacker and the end man on the line of scrimmage crashing down to allow this split zone run by Saquon Barkley to, on the to have a comeback way, This yeah. is the next drive after the touchdown, Yeah. And, uh, you can also, if you look closely for those watching, Andrew Thomas is definitely holding number 91 right here, but it seems like he's holding him with three fingers. And I don't know how that's possible because number 91 <laughs> is 253 pounds.
2: Yeah. I guess just momentum and force, but you're right. I love how he's taking out two defenders. Go back to that play real quick though. I did have something to ask you of Nick that I think you can clear up for me. So with the sniffer here coming around here, I feel like watch where the two tight ends go after the, uh, you can run it through a little more and pause it right here. So. I almost feel like they might have missed an assignment there because if they get to that second level Bears defender, this could be cutback go for Barkley. Maybe like a potential big player, a touchdown. Or is that just how it's supposed to be executed there?
1: No, you're 100% right. One of them missed an assignment. It's a little bit difficult to know exactly which one because typically when you have these split zone type of runs, the, the sniffer kicks out the MN on the line of scrimmage and Daniel Bellinger would climb up line, to locate yep. Eddie Jackson. But I'm not sure. Maybe they wanted because this this one game is very diverse and it's not a novel thing to ha- to do this either, to have the sniffer lead block through the hole. I'm not really 100% right. certain exactly what was supposed to happen, but one of those tight ends missed their assignment and it probably led to a, a worse gain, even though this is an 11-yard gain. But if Eddie Jackson is eliminated here, Saquon Barkley yeah, probably never
2: cuts be back. Huge. Yeah, right.
1: so this could have been a really big run by the Giants. If he
2: climbs, if Bellinger climbs and they use the sniffer just to eliminate the backside there and Barkley can get through, ah uh, man that could be he Fellinger's already climbed that second level of jackson barkley has been known to hit those for touchdowns i honestly feel like this is only an 11 yard gain because of barkley to be completely honest like it's not yeah. that it was poorly blocked up but it could it was probably just going to go for four or five if he doesn't do all that stuff on his own like let that play out look at barkley on this first the cut back there the jump cut there and then the then he slows down his momentum and restarts it to go back inside after going outside that's just beautiful running by barkley
1: I feel like there were some good blocks downfield and just yes. adjustments by like Ben Bredesen who gets in front and then he has to adjust to what the defender is doing and Ooh, flip his hips yeah. a couple times. Evan Neal also on the backside of this play, it looks kind of sloppy, but he's like driving his defender like 10 yards off the ball yeah. and just kind of getting in his way, being a nuisance. So I want to tip my cap to him on that one too.
2: I love it. I already, lo- I already love this video thing, Nick, because I feel like we're, we're, we're uncovering stuff we might have not even put out in some of these past podcasts just by, you know, just not watching it as we go at times. So let's got dive into this third drive here for the Giants. It obviously uh, doesn't end where we want it to. But before we get to that third and 10 play that bogs down the drive, is there anything else you saw because um, prior to that that situation? Because there wasn't too much more, but anything you wanted to go over?
1: Yeah, I have this one yep. play highlighted in bold, and it's just a play action pass with Sills in line. So it's basically acting as as a double Y set with Sills acting as that third time, something they did a lot. When they weren't in 13 personnel, there were a lot of times where they would just motion Sills in and then he would be that extra quote unquote tight end. And this is just another play action. You could see how Daniel Jones sells it that same way, then rolls out. And he has David Sills there for a little bit, kind of like we were talking about. It's not an over route from the backside, but it's just a corner route. And maybe Daniel Jones releases the football here and threw with anticipation. He could have got it to him right here, but you have a safety kind of bearing down. So I like the fact that Daniel Jones kept this football and just ran for, what was it, seven yards on this play. But it's just another one of those things where the defense is continuously over pursuing. But when you roll Daniel Jones towards the strong side, the end man on the line of scrimmage, who typically has to account for him, isn't really there. And when you release right. David Sills into a route off of that, who is a wide receiver, and yeah, he's not the most athletic, but he's still a wide receiver. Look how both of those defenders panic and yeah. they both fail, and no one takes Daniel Jones. The little wrinkles like this, though, that that help clear space and help force put puts the defense on their heels and puts them into a position where they're uncertain on what the heck they're supposed supposed to do because there's so much going on. And I absolutely love that, man. And that is the way that Mike Kafka has been taking advantage of a lot of these opposing defensive coordinators. Maybe they're going to catch up to it eventually,
2: but as of right now through four weeks, it's been impressive. Yeah. This is just an awesome design. If you look at the release that Sills has off the line of scrimmage, if you have any other, if you have a talented receiver running this route, if you have what Kenny Galladay was supposed to be running this route, he's going to create immediate, a lot more separation immediately. And Jones is going to have a better window to throw that ball into. So I'm kind of with you. I'm, 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 more than fine with Jones decision here to hold the ball and take it under his own hand and, you know, and run the ball. But this is just the type of, when we upgrade the personnel here at the receiver position, and obviously the expectation was call, they can be that guy, but you know, this is just look at this. I mean, Bang! Like there, there. If you have a different receiver running this route here, this looks like it could go for a big play, honestly, because the safety is pretty as a decent distance from from the receiver at that point. If he can really open it up and rip that rip that route to the corner, but but you know, it was Sills running this route. It's not a horrible route or anything that he runs. It's just not. He's just not the most athletic receiver. And this was a middle of the field closed
1: defense. It was too. So it wasn't even too high. Defense like that safety had a lot of space to kind of cover before getting down to David Sills.
2: Yeah. And so I I, it's just an interesting thing. The Giants will look at this, I'm sure, and be like, we had options here. Um, And then, you know, maybe next time Daniel Jones does pull that trigger. All right. Let's talk about finally this third and 10 situation, because this is one I put on Twitter as well. You guys can see it now. Nick is letting it play out from the sideline view. I just feel like, man, this is a good microcosm of where Kenny Galladay is at right now as just a pure receiver for the Giants. I don't want to give Galladay credit because he blocked his ass off in this game prior to the injury and made some key blocks. But as you watch this play yourself, just look at the lack of respect the defensive back is giving him here on the vertical route. There's just no more expectation that Galladay can. He's not the threat that we expected him to be or that he really should be as a vertical receiver and like, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth with people. Cause I posted the route and I asked like wide receiver coaches and anyone who has any better idea on this to explain, to kind of break down to me what they thought of it, Nick and different people have different explanations so far from what I've heard. Some people be like, we like, that's actually how he, you know, he actually does a good job of flattening out the route here. It's not a rounded out route, even though it kind of looks that way. And he, and, and you know, that's based on the leverage here, but or other things that I, <laughs> that I didn't pick up on that. I probably have to look back at the DMS to try to figure out, but to me, it just looks like he doesn't have suddenness off the line of scrimmage in his release to start. He's not any kind of vertical threat at all here. The defensive back at least doesn't believe he is. And by the time he kind of gets into his break, to throttle down and, and, and get to the point where he has to be, he's just creating no separation whatsoever.
1: You have to look at the situation and the leverage of the defender. So it's a third and 10 situation. Kenny Galladay isn't a burner. He's not the most explosive. He's not going to fool a lot of people with a hard vertical stem, but you have a defender who is outside leverage ass towards the sideline. So what Kenny Galladay has to do is influence this defender inside. And that's what he, he does a solid job doing that right here. Like watch his stem. His stem isn't, At the bottom of the numbers where he's initially aligned, he angles his stem inward, like he's going to the top of the numbers and then he flattens at about 11 to 12 yards right here. I don't think that's a terrible route break. Right there, But I just don't think he's a receiver who is overly sudden and can sink his hips and explode in and out of breaks. But this is a tight angle he has to explode on because of this inward stem that he has to kind of eat into the leverage right. of the cornerback. And the cornerback plays it well, man. He's patient. He's just kind of, you know, in his quarter turn, just slowly backpedaling, waiting for the break, anticipating a break because he doesn't have respect for the vertical game of Kenny Galladay. But I don't really think that's too bad of a, of a turn there with all things considered. I mean, it is Kenny Galladay at this point of his career.
2: And there you go. So maybe it's less on the technicality of the route, I guess you could say, and more just on the absolute suddenness that he has left, the athleticism he has left left the vertical threat, the vertical ability has left. And, and more importantly to me, the threat, the lack of threat that he has, regardless, he's not getting the job done. And obviously the ball wasn't really, it wasn't good ball placement at all. I mean, it, it wasn't near the receiver, but I guess and that's good partially, coverage, too. partially good, good coverage. coverage. Maybe it's a throwaway by Jones. It's really hard to know. You'd probably have to ask Jones and the coaches on this one, but either way, the job doesn't get done. The athlete isn't there. And again, this is a, to me, this is a $72 million receiver. Like he's expected to make plays on third and 10. In these types of spots, and we just don't get those from this guy. We never get those.
1: Like if it were to happen, it would be like a collective just cheering. Like Twitter would blow up if Kenny Galladay converted a third and ten on a play like this near the sidelines or in a contested catch situation. That's the unfortunate state of the Kenny Galladay situation right now.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, and uh, and ultimately that leads to another punt. So now the Giants have gone punt, touchdown, punt. They're up seven six at this time. And then they get another touchdown drive going, which was awesome. It was their final touchdown drive of the game. It came at the top uh, 930. start drive started with 932 in the second quarter. It was the last time they scored at least a touchdown. Um, but it was a big one. I mean, without this this game might not go, excuse me, the way we wanted it to. So let's start with the big one, the 29-yard run here. And I thought this was a really good example of what I brought up a few a few minutes earlier on the show, maybe 10 minutes earlier. Just this overly aggressive play by the bears this undisciplined play like look at Eddie Jackson here screaming downhill toward that gap i just is that what he's supposed to be doing nick you might know better than me but it seems like there's no one who's containing an easy cutback here for barkley and he makes him pay with a 29 yard run
1: what i think typically safeties are going to have the b gap in this situation but again yeah, this is 13 to the weak side where eddie jackson would be this is 13 personnel as you can see but i think what influenced jackson to hit the a gap or 53 was right there so there was really no reason to do that was that daniel jones opens to the strong side here because this was just going to be a strong side type of run and you can see how saquon barkley changes his tune puts his foot right in the ground there because he sees the blocking to the weak side and eddie jackson Thinks he's going to make a play shooting the A-gap right here on a strong side run. But instead, Saquon Barkley makes him pay and turns this into a weak side run. You can see the blocking right here by Ben Bredesen. I might not be correct here, but this is what I think. See, Ben Bredesen wash his assignment down in the line of scrimmage, completely closing the A-gap. And Saquon Barkley sees all this, man. And then he just takes it and outruns a bunch of defenders and picks up like 29 yards on this play. But I think this is really just a great adjustment by Saquon Barkley, recognizing what the defense was doing and making them pay
2: but should Jackson be going into the b gap like you said at the beginning or you, it's just tough to know cuz i feel like if Jackson attacks the b gap here no i think he should have been going into the b
1: gap but instead right. he chose to go into the a yeah. gap because i feel like he thought this was going to be a strong side run Got with daniel and jones then he opening can get, in he that
2: can get some backside pursuit is what he's thinking okay yes that's what yep. i think
1: he's thinking again i'm yep. not really 100% sure imagine if what he what doesn't
2: he i mean like that's an example though if he goes just <laughs> so takes the b gap here i don't think this is turning into much with 53 there in the a gap But who knows?
1: Yeah, it would have been Eddie Jackson against Saquon Barkley in a wide gap because the blocking to the weak side was pretty damn good.
2: Yeah. And that's kudos to look at Evan Neal, who's doing a great job on this. Really, again, it's another example of the Giants executing their blocks here. We can see it from this view, uh, from the other view, maybe. And that'll give the viewers another uh, kind of feel for for the blocking here. But I think this is probably another good example of good execution by the Giants from a blocking standpoint.
1: Eddie Jackson flies down and look at this point. Oh, geez. All these defenders are like, oh, crap. Saquon Barkley in space? No, nah, yeah. no, no. That's not fun. It could have been just, even
2: bigger, honestly. It
1: could have been. He doesn't this, get
2: slowed down.
1: This defender here, this defender right here, does a good job kind of forcing Saquon Barkley outside the numbers here towards number 22. Yep. And he, he ends does. up tracking him down eventually. And then right here, I just, we don't have to break this play down because we already broke it down so many times. But for those watching, let me know if it looks familiar. It's the touchdown play. See? Only yep. this time he throws the ball to Tanner Hudson. It's the touchdown play open up to the strong side, misdirection to the weak side, roll Daniel Jones out, throw it to Tanner Hudson right here. Instead of just keeping it Tanner Hudson makes the catch should have caught one later on in the game, but we'll
2: go over that. Then roll back that play real quick. Here's something yep. that I, that I point out on this player, at least that I noticed when I watch a play like this, I think, Tanner Hudson does a really good job here of smoothly getting into his break here to bounce, to, to, to roll that route out, to, to, to operate that route. Like watch him get in and out of the block fake block. Boom fires out there. And then the adjustment to the ball, this is not, let's be honest. Unfortunately, it's not unfortunate. Let's just call it like we see it. It's not a bad ball, but this is not a great, this is not a perfect ball. He doesn't throw him in stride. And Tanner Hudson does have to adjust to this pass. It's thrown a little behind him, and he does a great job while moving of adjusting to this pass. is a great view that that Nick just got there of adjusting to the ball as a hands catcher here, putting his hands out and making the catch and still being able to turn up field after that. That, to me, shows fluidity as an athlete, the ability to make the catch and then transition uphill, and I just love how he gets out of his break here to run this route. It's just a lot of explosiveness from him there. To me, this was the play that stood out for me for Hudson in the game. This needs to be brought up right here. This angle right here. Watch yes. how he sells Eddie
1: Jackson. He sells Eddie. J- Eddie Jackson does not know who has the football right now. He can't see what Daniel Jones with his back turned and Matt Breida hitting the hole. So he's going off of what he sees up here. If Tanner Hudson releases right now, Eddie Jackson knows what's going on and he's fading right. and cutting underneath Eddie, cutting underneath Tanner Hudson. But right now as Tanner Hudson enters his break is when Eddie Jackson and look at starts his feet. moving. He, he starts going towards the line of scrimmage like he thinks Matt yep. Breida has the football.
2: Wow, that's how. That is, that's wow. how.
1: Yeah, that's how well Tanner Hudson sold this. This is an,
2: an awesome excellent
1: man. individual effort by Tanner Hudson.
2: Great route run by Hudson. Great sell. Great adjustment to the ball that was a little behind him and high. Just overall excellent stuff and good throw by Jones too. It's a fine throw by Jones. It's still on them. It's still on target and still gives them a chance for an 18 yard play. This is one of the biggest plays of the game for the Giants. This 18 yard play. So all those count for uh, everything. All right. Now looks like we're teeing up the most insane play of this game. Like just absolutely absurd. We can show this from every angle. For those of you who had not seen it, this is the Saquon Barkley screen. Third and nine. Giants are dead to rights. They try to call screen. They've called a lot of third down screens. It's worked. The Bears were 1,000% ready for this bad boy. And look at the diagnosing by the Bears defense. They got one guy, but he can't tackle Barkley. And he cuts back across the field. Daniel Jones with a key block on this play to get out in front of that guy. If that doesn't happen, we also don't get the first down. There's so much good about this play, man. But what ultimately ends up happening is this would have been, like, if he makes the tackle there, this is going to be a that's like a 50-something yard field goal attempt for Gano. That's not that easy in the Meadowlands. They've probably been, like, 54, 55-yard attempt. Instead, the result is a first down, and ultimately they score a touchdown on this drive.
1: This is an insane individual effort by Saquon Barkley and an excellent play by the quarterback. You don't find many quarterbacks who throw blocks. You find quarterbacks that will like get in the way and do the whole little, I'm not here, don't hit me type of thing. But Daniel Jones throws, that's a block right there. He lowers his shoulder into number nine and takes him out of the play. I think that might be Jaquan Brisker, who was like a 200 and... 15 220 pound safety like he's he's a big boy you know he's he's a good player too i think it's the individual who ended up hurting daniel jones a little bit later on in the game but that's a key block and just an amazing play there and i said this on the quick reaction pod and i mean it dan there are not a lot of players in the nfl that can make this play that Saquon Barkley did because not only does he make this incredible improvisation on the run but he breaks this tackle and then he resets look at this little jump set that he does right here he breaks a tackle jumps gets set, gets square, and then just finds blockers in space, man. That is just an excellent individual effort from Barkley, man. And we've been critical of Saquon Barkley in the past and and his decisiveness and, and things like that. And I feel like it was all very warranted, but oh my gosh, man, through four games, Dan, how much I have changed my tune on that. This dude runs with so much conviction and confidence, and he knows where to go, how to set up blocks and how to maximize a lot of these runs. Now he might not maximize every single run but he maximizes damn near every single run. And that is very impressive. And it's it's wildly different than the Saquon Barkley that we witnessed basically since his rookie season. And this player is a lot better than 2018 Saquon. And he should be because that was a rookie and he was still very impressive. But damn, bro, I, am, I can't say enough good words about what we're seeing from this kid.
2: And I think you're spot on. Like, as I look back and just think of the first four games on film, we could probably look through the notes and, and get a better idea. Maybe I could count on most a handful, one handful of the times I feel like he didn't process a play right or he didn't maximize the yards on a play. And that probably isn't even a full handful of plays. That's how crazy efficient he's been from a maximization standpoint, from a processing standpoint. It's wild to me. Like, look, as a rookie, Saquon Barkley, I think, was a more explosive runner that he's been so far. Now, part of that is just, you know, they had a different style offense and they still had a little bit of an attack in the passing game, just from having Odo Beckham Jr. on the field like that completely changed the way defenses had to adjust. they were running a lot more shotgun that 2018 season. They're running a lot more 11 personnel that all that led to, I think more opportunities for explosive plays. And I think he had 10 plays that year of 40 plus yards. I don't know if he'll get to that this year. He still has obviously an opportunity to, But this is a better version of Barkley because he's doing the little things better. He's processing a lot better from a mental standpoint. Like you said, he's decisive. He has a plan. He's setting up blockers. That's not something we've always seen on this film in the past. He's getting vertical all the time. Like, there's even some runs where you might want him to bounce back. And he says, I don't care. My coaches want me to get vertical. And in the long run, it's the right decision to get vertical every time. As far as I'm concerned, I just feel like it's the right decision almost every time, um, even if a couple times it doesn't work. And he's running with such low pad level on so many of these runs, man. He's running through his behind his pads, power into contact, like just at a different level, even than what I saw in that rookie season. I do think this is the best version of Barkley by far that they've had.
1: And he runs so damn low to the ground, man. Like everything is so low. Like I can't imagine trying to tackle that. That's very difficult, man, because yeah. this dude is 225 pounds, and he's like a rock who's just basically stuck to the ground. Unless he jumps like Derrick Henry did in week one, and then he just got absolutely slayed by Tate Crowder. It's hard to, like, get a big hit on him. He's falling he's through bro. contact, which isn't also something that we we talked a lot about. We would always say, oh, you know, Saquon Barkley, for a 225-pound guy, we want to see him be a little bit more physical. Not anymore, man. This guy, man, get out of his way because he'll run you over.
2: And I think a big part of that in the past was we want to see him get more physical. We want to see him fall forward, maximize his yards. Part of that was just that he was trying to bounce a lot of things outside. Now that without that mindset, you can get the maximization of all his yards because he's moving forward and getting vertical so often. And we see it play out and it's been really truly special. Here's the touchdown play that Nick's throwing up on the screen right now. It's nothing too novel. We've seen it already. We've seen it before and yet it works again. Here it is. The defense just totally. Not, there it is. The one-on-one here with Hudson. With uh, Is that Hudson? Who's there? Who's there blocking? On the edge? It's Hudson. Yeah. Hudson. Yeah. The one-on-one there's only one guy left and Hudson blocks him and, and that's it. It's another touchdown for Jones. And
1: you can see again, how this defense right here, you can see they're all accounting for the tight ends. They're on this play action boot side, but you misdirection. You open up to the strong side. You misdirection to the weak side. Look at all those linebackers, scrape and fill. Everybody crashes down the line of scrimmage and nobody even thinks about Daniel Jones. It's not until about right now that they even realize that Daniel Jones has the damn football. So yeah. it's just on Tanner Hudson to ensure that six can't get there. And Jones, he walks in, he walks in this, this Play happened at the Chicago 8-yard line. How many times do you see a walk-in touchdown?
2: Especially when you already scored on this same exact damn play, Dan. That is just something. We need some kind of, like, ticker or tracker to start accounting for all the free touchdowns Mike Kafka has given the New York Giants so far this year. Because, again, we don't feel like we had any during the Garrett era. Like, we had the one to Thomas, whatever, the Andrew Thomas. They had another one that was similar to that, all from, like, the 1-yard line. But these, like distance free TDs, the Bellinger one from week two, this run, the first run for a touchdown from Jones. This one was eight yards out. The first one was, what, 21. But even so, they do so much for the offense. Not only are they free touchdowns where, like you said, there's no one in sight and it's just a walk-in. More importantly, they don't give you a chance to bog down in that area of the field where everything gets – when you start bogging down in there and kicking field goals, it takes so much juice out of your offense overall. And so we've been able to convert a lot of these red zone drives into touchdowns. Because of free touchdown plays, there's been a lot of these, and I want to maybe start tracking how many we're going to get in a season. Like, will we get to double digits? We've had the Bellinger TD of Week Two, right, Nick? We've had two from this game. That's three. We had the the TD in the first game, the the throw where there's two receivers open, the the touchdown to Myrick. That's four. Am I missing any others? No, four free not, TDs, not for though. free touchdowns. No. Free touchdowns, but four free TDs. Can we get to 10 in a season? It's insane to even think about. You can get double digit free TDs. Like these are free TDs. There's no one in sight, as we just showed on the film. No one was near Daniel Jones on either of these plays. He walked them in, essentially. So just really Dan, awesome stuff.
1: Do you think Mike Kafka goes to TD Bank?
2: Yeah, that's we need like a sound now that we're doing all this video stuff and we're getting we're moving into the twenty first century or whatever it's considered. We need to get like a soundboard because we have that on the Fantasy Football Today podcast with CBS where you can hit like a, a drum. You thing. talk to Azer for me, yeah, let like, me yeah. know what software they use and I'll get it, okay, and okay. I'll incorporate it. Yeah. Okay. Well we're gonna start to get a little more high tech here on the big blue banner podcast. But the Giants score a touchdown there, the last touchdown drive of the game, but still a lot we want to go over from this game on the offensive side of the ball. So we mm-hmm. We'll get to the very next series, which was a six play drive that went 25 yards and resulted in a punt. This was an interesting drive because of the time and distance. The giants have been very unaggressive or that's, that's not a correct word. The giants have not lacked aggression on these two minute situations. As far as trying to go vertical with the passing game, they really have, they've been, I mean, they, kind of tried it two weeks ago in Carolina and almost threw a pick six when Jones didn't read the underneath linebacker, the overhand guy in that hook zone. And they were kind of since then like, "Eh, let's be a little careful here. And so they kind of start, I thought this drive was a little interesting and weird to me, Nick, because they kind of started this drive conservative and then they started to get something going and they opened it up and they, and they showed a little sign of opening up. And then obviously the Tanner Hudson drop kind of slowed that momentum down completely, but what do you want to go over? The, the thing that I would want to touch on is that Hudson play, because I thought it was the best throw of the game by far by Daniel Jones, and I'd love the viewers to be able to see that on film. But I'm sure there's some other stuff you wanted to talk about, specifically the second and four play. Yeah, I just want to talk about Evan Neal on yeah. the second and four play.
1: So first play was a six-yard run by, by the Giants on a halfback draw, I like the fact that they incorporate a halfback draw, try to get some free yardage when the defense is expecting pass. And Daniel, right. The Giants don't really like throwing the football in these situations after Frankie Lubu situation, which he did. Have a pick six against oh, the bro. Arizona Cardinals. So watch it is becoming like a good player in this league. It's, at- it's honestly the pep talk I gave him when we <laughs> talked. I think yeah. it was, dude. Yeah, I was like, "Yo, man, you you got to situate yourself, all right." And he he listened, man. Kudos to him. I'll text him later. But Evan Neal right here. He I like the power that we're gonna see from Evan Neal right here. But I still think the technique is an issue. So we have Evan Neal right here on the weak side, and watch him right here. Watch him lift 91 off the edge. He kind of tries to set the edge, but you could see how Evan Neal just keeps those feet churning and keeps kind of like readjusting his hips to unlock more power. You see how at his torso, mm. he just keeps moving his torso a little bit there to get more and more power to move 91 off the spot. The power is evident, right? There's there's no doubt that Evan Neal is a very, very strong individual, but you could see at the point of contact right here, look how far his chest is yeah, over.
2: His he's still spine. lunging. He's still he's lo- over.
1: He's lunging so much right here. And if 91 was a bit more opportunistic, he could have put Evan Neal on the ground here. But I do like how once Evan Neal gets his hands on you, you could see how he adjusts himself. And now his feet are getting brought underneath him. And he's uncoiling his hips into contact, but he's not just doing that. He's able to reset his hips and resync himself to generate more power to move 91 off the spot. So I still think there are positives within this play, but the technique is still somewhat not quite Developed and not quite Mm there. We're seeing the same issues that we saw all through the first three weeks and really dating back to his time at Alabama.
2: Yeah, and that's something he'll work on. That's something they're gonna get him to fix. Look, Andrew Thomas is probably playing like the best tackle in football right now. It's basically I saw a chart today that broke down. Uh, that I mean this is still based on like grading, which I always feel like is like eh. I know Thomas is currently the number one graded guy of Pro Football Focus. Me and Nick are both pretty skeptical when it comes to these charting, these grading charters, but at the same time, it at least has added up this year, right? Like Thomas has been great on film, so it makes sense. But I saw it was Thomas werfs uh, Tunsell who's having an unreal year and then one other tackle I'm forgetting right now in kind of their own tier of their own. But remember with Thomas, like he still had issues of his own in his rookie year and had really like an eight-game stretch where he wasn't playing like he's playing now. So I feel like with Neil, I'm just not ready to really make any, and I know you're not either, but I just feel like we, we, we can give, we have so much time with Neil. To, to, for, for him to develop, for the coaches to, to to work on different things so he's not, like you said in that example, lunging and getting off balance. And, and I think as we move forward, we'll see that develop.
1: Yeah, and this was a, a better game for him. He didn't have to traditionally yeah. pass, pass set that much. And I think that is one reason why it was a better game for him. And we won't really go over this play. This is too much, but I wanted to show it just to see. After Daniel Jones has burned this team so much for 14 points, consistently on third down, watch how undisciplined they are in this zone read. <laughs> It's comical at this point. It really is good blocking downfield. And that ends up being a seven yard gain yeah. for the New York Giants on a third and one situation. So really, really just stop Saquon Barkley. But this sets up the first and 10 play. This is a, a throw by Daniel Jones that I feel like is really underrated. And it goes as a drop to Tanner Hudson right here. And we'll go over it from the better angle. But I want you to see how close this play is and that the zip that has to go on it. Look at that. The defender is right there. Oh yeah. They got a tight window throw That's right the there. Definition of Jones. a
2: tight window throw.
1: It's the definition of a tight window throw. And I want to go through it from this angle because I feel like it's, it's telling on what's going through Daniel Jones's mind. And I also feel like he does a full field progression here and he makes the right choice to work back to the two receiver side. Cause so the strong yep. side, you have a three by one set here. Saquon Barkley is going to release five man protection. So you're going to have two receivers to this side, but the play side, the, first read the primary read is on this side and that's where Daniel Jones's eyes initially go you have three receivers here you're just gonna have the little little out little spot hook from Richie James then you're gonna have a dagger concept from the number one and the number two with the number two taking the vertical into the deep half safety Daniel Jones is looking in that direction and he doesn't really see anything he loves with 53 kind of turning and and facing Kenny Galladay there's really nothing you could have hit Richie James but that's like five yards in front of the sticks so I kind of like the fact that Daniel Jones didn't like this And he had a defender right in his face, so he works to this side. He knows it's cover two, right? So you have a high-low right here against this flat defender to the cover two. So as long as this safety is playing at the depth that he's playing at, which Daniel Jones can see from this safety, then there's going to be a spot in the honey hole if 22 sinks down on Saquon Barkley. And if 22 sinks to remove the honey hole where Tanner Hudson is, you could have Saquon Barkley, your best playmaker in space. So I like the fact that Daniel Jones works back to this side. I feel like he makes a good read, uses athletic ability to extend the play. And then he finds Tanner Hudson on a rip right there. Tanner Hudson just has to catch that. That's a very good play from Daniel Jones.
2: There's so much I like about this play from just Daniel Jones standpoint. For starters, I like his pocket manipulation on this play. That's something we've talked about a lot with Daniel Jones. And I think he does a good job of not bailing until he has to bail. There was no when that's all I want to see from Jones. He's going to have to bail sometimes. By the time he bails right here, he has to bail. But before that, what he's doing is like Nick said, he's going through that full progression on that side of the field. It's not there, and he's making a decision to come back across the field. But then what you really have to like on this play is the off-platform throw. Why? We've seen at times Salem Jones has struggled with off-platform throws. What are off-platform throws? When he doesn't have a chance to set his feet, square his shoulders, and throw over the top. He's an over-the-top thrower. He's been taught by David Cutcliffe. We all know this. But here, he's forced to, on the run, off-platform, make this tight window throw where if it's an inch to the left, The the defender, as you can see, who's diving forward is going to make the play. If it's an inch to the right, the defender number nine who's coming down, the safety is going to make a play on the ball. And either way, it's bad for Dan Jones and the Giants. Even if it's placed as pinpoint perfectly as it is, but it doesn't have the same kind of velocity, I think nine breaks on the ball and it's incomplete regardless. So this play requires an off-platform throw that combines both pinpoint ball placement, which is what it has, and also velocity a rip and he does both of those things man and there has been signs this season it hasn't all worked for daniel jones and the giants passing game yet from a vertical standpoint or even overall we know the stats they haven't thrown for 200 yards But I'll say this, Nick, there's been a lot of signs in the film that I've watched that Daniel Jones is throwing the ball better on the run than I've ever seen him in his career. When will that translate to a lot of big plays in the passing game? I don't know. When will that translate to more passing yards in general? I don't know right now. But this is a good sign because I think that he's throwing the ball and it's coming out cleaner than it has, at least last year. Last year may, again, be more of an outlier. We don't know. He's playing through some injuries. But that's just a great rep by him right there. He rips that ball into Hudson. It's an excellent rep, and it's set up this second and 10, another
1: halfback draw. Again, Giants are in a two-minute drill, so they're being somewhat conservative. And this is a bad play by Mark Lewinsky to protect his inside shoulder. You can see how, look, Saquon Barkley, he's hitting right behind John Feliciano, who's uncovered he can climb up to the linebacker. He's offset to that side. And Lewinsky just has to do a better job protecting his inside. He allows Blackson to just shed this block and, and make the tackle on Saquon Barkley here, but also peak Andrew Thomas right there against Robert Quinn and how he just clubs him to the ground right here. no, I'll just get rid of the defender. <laughs>
2: and I'll say this. I think this was a big turning point for the drive for the giants to play before where Hudson doesn't drop where Hudson has a drop. Cause if Hudson catches that pass, given where the ball placement was, he also gets out of bounds. And yep. so then the giants have the clock stopped. They're at the 44 new set of downs. And then they might want look, w- we might've looked to get more aggressive to get into field goal range for a good, So it ended up ultimately being potentially taking three points of the door. Once he drops that, I feel like they kind of said, all right, whatever, we'll go run the ball with Saquon and take this into the half. Or maybe Saquon can break one and, and have us reevaluate that. But ultimately They end up, um, you know, third and six checking out the sills. We don't really need to go over that. But they go to the half here without any points here. Um, And so they move on to the second half here. A little bit of bogged down, I guess you can say. They had two straight punts, but this one again was – or no, they had the one punt, but this one again was uh, more a product of the time. And so we get to our first drive of the next half. This is the second punt I was talking about. It's a six-play, 12-yard drive, so obviously not very successful for the Giants. What kind of went wrong here, or anything you want to break down on this drive?
1: Well, the Giants found themselves. In a third and seven after Chicago did a good job bottling Saquon Barkley up on first down and second down to force this third and seven play. And I felt like on this play, Daniel Jones, again, didn't have to traditionally drop back all that much, but he does a really good job ripping this football to Richie James right here. The Giants use motion to get a tighter, more condensed formation to create more space to the outside. And the Giants also run just a flat route off the chip from the tight end with Richie James running a really dirty route here from the number two. wide receiver spot. So I really like this play by Richie James. We might be able to see it a little bit better from the end zone copy. Yes, great route by James. Watch, watch him explode off. Stanky leg work back to the outside and Jones puts it a little low right here. It just kind of allows him to press a and make a conservative catch if this is Madden. And that's a nine-yard gain right there on a third and seven. So I felt like this was one of Jones' better plays from a traditional passing type of standpoint. And I also feel like Richie James just does a really good job to work back inside and use this defender's leverage. Who's in really good coverage on Richie James right here. He's over the top of Richie James. If this was a horizontal cross, this dude's right in the hip pocket, ready to play right through the catch point. But instead, you work right back outside, easy pitch and catch.
2: A few notes I have on this play for starters as we work it back a little bit to the, just show the pocket real quick from that angle, Nick. This is one of the better pockets the Giants have had this season for traditional ba- uh, dropbacks. Yes, the Bears uh, drop players and they only end up rushing three. But The Giants have struggled with three-man rushes at times this season and ultimately struggled with a lot of four-man rushes. This one, they pick up perfectly, a perfect pocket. I actually thought it was a great read by or a good read by Jones. I did not think this is one of Jones's better throws at all. The ball placement here is not where you want it to be at all. The ball's not really supposed to die there. Um, you know, if you could hit, if you could hit jo- if you could hit James right here out of the break, if you're the anticipation, the mini comes out of that break, that ball's like ripped to him and he's not, it's not low. It's right on him. He may have an opportunity to turn up field. May. In this situation, there's no opportunity to turn up field. He has to go low to secure the catch and, and get the first down. So still a good read by Jones, but purely clean pocket there, throwing from a balanced base, it wouldn't be one of the throws that I would highlight for Jones. To point out one thing that i had in my notes, it's not a big thing, but I just want to show it because I think it shows something they've been coaching. The play right before that James won, the Barkley run, it, it wasn't for much. But I just want to show this play because I feel like it's a good example of the difference in Saquon Barkley's style this season as a runner. As you'll see here on this play, and this isn't the only example I've had. I mean, this happens on a weekly basis. The old Saquon Barkley, I want to see what he does here. Here he does. He makes the cutback. The old Saquon Barkley, I think, is going to try to cut that back outside after he avoids the first tackle. The new Saquon Barkley, and you kind of see it better from the other angle. The new Saquon Barkley makes the decision here to try to get vertical after uh, avoiding that second tackle right here. And even though it doesn't work out, he kind of can't regain his balance. The idea here here for him is to reset and get vertical there. Instead of trying to bounce back outside and beat 58, the next linebacker coming around to the edge. And in times when he's tried to do that in the past, it's led to a loss of yards here, no matter what he's still getting upfield and he still ends up with like a gain of one. It's not perfect, but that mindset here is get vertical.
1: Yeah, he definitely has a more get vertical type of mindset this season. And the Giants end up getting themselves into a third and five situation after Jones hits Barkley and Kendall Vildor does a really good job coming down and tackling Barkley in the flat, which would could have and would have if it wasn't for the nice tackle have been an easy first down pickup for Jones on another play action rollout type of play, but it sets up this play right here where Daniel Jones attempts to throw a pass to Richie James on this slamp. Eddie Jackson just plays it really, really well. This was one of those decisions where I think Daniel Jones didn't really have a lot. Yeah. Didn't he, he realized I think after the snap and just a little bit too late that this defender ended up going on the blitz and Richie James was lined up against a safety who was aligned about 12 yards off the line of scrimmage at the snap and Jones just, this is him just waiting too long to throw this football and and he just tried to squeeze it in and Eddie Jackson's just all over it. I think at the top of the screen you can see it looks like Tanner Hudson cleanly. Is that Tanner Hudson or is that David Sills? I think it might be David Sills. No, that's Tanner Hudson, man. Look at Tanner Hudson. Yeah. Look how he cleanly wins off the line of scrimmage right here. Outside. A really nice a-
2: route by Hudson.
1: Now, Jones isn't even looking in that direction, and I kind of wish Jones threw to Darius Slayton here, who does yes, a good job. That's now, you what have I a... was
2: going to ask you about. I liked the route by Slayton. I thought he should have gone to Slayton, but I also was going to ask you about, and I, I, you were going to finish something. I don't want to cut you off. I'll, I'll get to it after. Were you going to finish something?
1: Well, I was just going to say that safety is rotating down, but there's plenty of room for, for Jones to slip it in here. What I think happened with Jones here is he realized that the blitz was coming and he realized that Eddie Jackson was in coverage. Eddie Jackson has his hips kind of oriented outward and Richie James breaks inside. And Eddie Jackson just covers this really well. Watch how he watch how he yeah. breaks down and, and closes with onto that upfield hip of Richie James. And I think Jones at this point already committed to throwing the football to James.
2: What I want to see here is maybe one of two things, both before the snap. What I would want to see here is before the snap, Jones recognizes the leverage that he has with a receiver like James, especially as that defensive back who ends up kind of blitzing in and then taking that Barkley or whoever the running back is that he can maybe like and I, and I saw you write this down too in your notes, Nick, and I thought it was interesting. Have a choice route there with with Richie James. So it's not just him breaking on the inbreaker breaker here where, you know, you see pretty good leverage as you're looking at the screen with Eddie Jackson. If he breaks the outside there on a quick out, I think that's kind of an easy solution. Also, there is the blitzer coming from where he's aligned right over James. Like, I want to see the quarterback diagnose that, read that pre-snap, and come up with the solution. That's the other thing. And we've seen Jones do a better job of that over the years. But still, I don't think he's perfect at that. And it's a good disguise by the Bears, for sure. Like, I'm not taking any credit and, away from that. Yeah, and But the it blitzer- just feels like the worst thing they could have done with Richie James here is exactly this route.
1: And the blitzer also ends up, his assignment is to take the running back. So if the running back stayed in, he would have ended up right. finishing his blitz. But you could see Matt Breida leak out and then he just attaches right to Matt Breida. But I, I'm starting to get a little bit of vibes. I know you're um, You're full on this ship. Like you're PJ Fleck row the boat in terms of this ship right now when it comes to Tanner Hudson. But I think Tanner Hudson could possibly be a mismatch type of guy against these linebackers who aren't Fred Warner. Right. Like this is a very nifty release up at the top of the screen right there, the number two receiver against a linebacker. And he wins cleanly and stacks and then separates to the corner. Jones recognized that there is plenty of room to lead him into this direction on the sideline. And hopefully he can hang on to the football. And that's where it comes yeah, down you to can see him,
2: put his hand up. He knows he just, that this is he's not putting when one thing, I think when receivers do this and they put their hands up, everyone's always like, Oh, the receivers are yelling at the corner. I don't think he's necessarily like yelling or alarming his quarterback. I think he's just kind of being like, Holy shit. Look at this route. I ran, look at how I stack hand up. I got this. I won this route. And like, he's just kind of like a celebrate, a little celebration for the receiver here. Watch just boom. He has it. He knows that he beat his guy. He does throw his hands up a little bit at the end. Like why didn't the ball come my way? That's fine. I mean, the ball should have come his way to be completely honest. That was the best option by far for, I'm sure Daniel Jones would be the first to say that. Yeah, of course. It's always easier for us to say when we're watching the film, it's really hard when you're snapping the ball in the moment as a quarterback, you got to diagnose that. That's crap fast. You got to be able to get the ball out. And, but. The good news is in the positive news and either you or Nick, me, or one of us is going to put this up on Twitter because I think I'm going to as long as you're good. with Yeah, it, you're, right. you're the Tanner I'm Hudson my Tanner. I got to keep the steady drum beat going, but this is a really fun route by Tanner Hudson. He does a great job on his release and then, like you said, stacking. So kudos to Hudson there. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out for the Giants, though, because they, they missed the play and they were forced to punt. Absolutely. But
1: that sets up this drive, third quarter. Five forced- plays, 60
2: yards, this one is.
1: Yep, yep. And I love this play. And this is just a zone read with emotioning Brita. You have Brita and Saquon Barkley in the game with Tanner Hudson as this H back, two receivers reduced. This is a similar type of formation without Brita that they aligned in on the first play of the game. But now they use Brita as the player who's going to motion back towards the snap. And then it ends up being like a jet. It could be like a touch pass or something. So the defense has to account for Breda, And you could see as Breda's coming back, look at those linebackers. We're all going to shift down this way. And now they realize, okay, Matt Breda doesn't have the football. Got to worry about that guy. Saquon Barkley. He's real good. End man on the line of scrimmage who has contain on Daniel Jones. He's not paying attention to this at all. And then it's just Tanner Hudson lead blocking for Daniel oh, Jones, who keeps so on pretty. his own route. And then you have Kenny Galladay who is blocking down on this weak side linebacker over here and watch Kenny Galladay's block here. Beautiful. I mean,
2: not seventy-two million dollars worth, but definitely a good block. I think <laughs> that a might hell be of a block.
1: That might be might be the play that he got hurt on.
2: It is the play he got hurt on. But, but he's blocking a second-level defender here, a big boy. This is and he completely takes him out of the play. This is a one of the best blocks I've seen by any Giants receiver. Like there's been some good ones by Sterling Shepard, but this is a different level. I mean, he's taking a second-level defender out of the play completely. And Hudson obviously does a great job too. Really good execution by Hudson and Galladay. Yeah, I love this play call too. There's just so
1: much smoke yep. and mirrors. Defense has no idea what's going on. They've seen right. so much from this rushing attack. Talk about maximizing your personnel, man. That's that, that's what this New York Giants coaching staff has been doing through four games, and that's a big reason why they're three and one.
2: It's the most diverse run game I've ever watched from the Giants in my lifetime. I think back to like the the, the really good years, the Ron. Or I'm sorry, the Tiki, not the Tiki Barber, the Derek Ward, Ahmad Bradshaw, Brandon Jacobs. At least for me, that was when I was a kid growing up and that run game was pretty traditional with kevin gilbride's offense this one is like like you said a lot of smoke and mirrors a lot of eye candy on that play you have both barkley and Breda coming in motion there's just so many different ways to kind of catch them off guard and obviously now as we see his next plant putting it up on the screen here this is the play daniel jones gets hurt on it's the bootleg that finally doesn't work wide open bellinger here or whoever the tight end was at the end of last year. i think it was bellinger because obviously that the bears defenders sides fully just go for daniel jones um i don't really think there's too much room for jones to get the ball out to the no. tight end he he'd have to really diagnose it right there i guess but yeah not really just great play <laughs> by the bears kudos to that
1: look at 94 oh, we
2: finally, finally got him, got him. <laughs> yeah he's like come on we oh, finally man. figured this out he's
1: <laughs> For the podcast listeners, he's jumping in the air in celebration that Jaquan Brisker finally sacked Daniel Jones yeah, on a play actually. Yeah.
2: He's away from the play completely, did not help on this play whatsoever. But he's just willing to celebrate because they didn't get burned by another 10-yard, 10 10-plus-yard 10 Jones run. Um, and but we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, go ahead. We'll move on to the next drive, but I just want to
1: show people how uncomfortable. Daniel Jones was like, watch him handing the football oh, off yeah. there. Like that is oh, yeah. not a comfortable. Oh, that is like, so You have bad. to, you have to get him off. For those, for those wondering, it's just a simple inside run Ugh. to Daniel Jones, and he's just limping into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley, and and just looks very, very
2: uncomfortable. You no know, it's Monday now, Nick, and we don't have any details on this injury. But as I watch that again and just see how uncomfortable he it is, it's so hard for me to believe that he's going to be anywhere near the mobility he needs to have to be ready to play this Sunday in London that's tough to see. I mean, maybe like I saw them trying to tape it up on the sideline. I don't know. I don't really ever understand how the tape ups work. I never played any kind of sports where I need to get my ankle taped up. I was the only varsity sport I ever played was tennis, uh, play a little basketball, but like it restricts the motion of your, I know what it, yeah, no, I get that yeah. point of it. But like when he looks like he did on that play, you just put up how uncomfortable he looked. how much can taping up really help you? Will it be like, I don't know. And that's the problem. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel to, I would guess right now, I mean, my hope is I said it on the last podcast, It's not a hope. I don't want to like talk in these terms with regards to what's going on with the NFL and the concussions right now. But my hope is there was a heavy dose of precaution put on the Tyrod Taylor hit and he'll get through that protocol and be available because quite frankly, it just doesn't feel like based on what we're seeing in six days, Daniel Jones is going to be ready for a football game. But who knows? If that doesn't happen, the Giants are probably going
1: to go and sign Matt Barkley off the Bills practice squad. Yeah, right. And then it's going to be Davis Webb starting with Matt Barkley yep. as the backup if Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor can't go. And I still think that is substantially better than Mike Glennon or Jake Fromm. Yeah, like like, and I'm even not even Mike
2: Glennon, but it's overall still going to look better on offense because we have such a better system. Yes, but Glennon yes. at least you know had some starts under his. But like Glennon versus Davis Webb, I probably say you. It's a tough debate. Like, <laughs> but I do have some weird hope and confidence if Davis Webb has to go. I don't know why. I just like from. I guess it's all from that preseason against yeah, you, scrubs who are never playing again. And like you say, accountants in the NFL or whatever, yeah. used car salesmen. But I do have some weird confidence in Webb. Let's see if that has to happen. I'm hoping it doesn't get to that point though, because I think with Taylor and Jones, they have a chance to shock the Packers. With Webb, I feel like it's you know we're we're going to have to lose that game. I think the the
1: Packers are going to beat the Giants even if Daniel Jones is fully healthy cuz I think they have Aaron Rodgers and I think they're the better football team than the New York Giants right now. But I'll say in terms of the Mike Glennon and Davis Webb mm-hmm. argument, yeah. It's all about the system and not just the system, it's the comfortability within the system. And I think right. Davis Webb is so much more comfortable than Mike Glennon was in whatever the heck
2: Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens and Joe Judge cocked up on offense. That's fair and I think that's a great point. So Either way, it's exciting for us as commentators and fans because we know we're going to get some kind of product every week on offense that tries to move the football with what they have, personnel-wise, whatever that may be. We can get to this next drive now um, after the Jones injury. So Tyrod Taylor comes into the game, but not only Tyrod Taylor comes in for this drive, they also bring in Devery Hamilton uh, over there at, at, at right tackle because obviously Evan Neal goes down. The good news is Evan Neal is expected to be completely fine, I think at least, for this next game.
1: Yeah, I think it was precautionary. Devery Hamilton on the first play that I ran on the YouTube got beat really bad by the interior defensive lineman and ended up going for a negative one-yard loss. And then it was second and 11, and I felt like this was low-key one of Saquon Barkley's better runs. Yes. So watch this run. Tyrod Taylor just opens up. It's just a stretch zone type of run to the weak side of a double Y set, but there's three tight ends on the field, so there is a tight end to the weak side. So essentially just watch Saquon Barkley's path right here and how he reads the blocks. He could have bounced out here, but 45 is playing this really well. 45 is just about to scrape over to that direction. He realizes that he has blockers right here. This very narrow gap, which I believe is the A-gap, but everything shifted on the on the stretch type of zone play. And Saquon Barkley just hits this hole, and then that allows 76 to locate 45. So he used the blockers. This is what we were talking about, reading your blocks and maximizing your blocks. Saquon Barkley does that here. Gets right on the ass of John Feliciano, allows John Feliciano to make that block. And if he doesn't get tripped up here, this could have been a foot race between Saquon Barkley and Eddie Jackson on an angle. I'm wondering if there was another safety in that area. I'm going to switch to the sideline Line view to see yeah there was another safety who would have actually let's see let's see Dan so we're watching it we're watching it podcast mm-hmm. listeners if Saquon Barkley squeaks through here, it would have been oh, Eddie no. Jackson and Saquon Barkley in space. And I think Eddie Jackson is yeah. good enough to, to
2: cut that angle off and probably would have made that tackle, but I'll still roll the dice on that opportunity. There's, like there's a lot Bar- of space to the sideline. Like he is probably good enough to make that tackle, but there's a lot of space for, for Barkley to potentially bounce it. Yeah,
1: he hits the hole at the top of the numbers yes. for the podcast listeners. And he basically, like, there's a defender in pursuit that kind of grabs his legs a little bit, but I think he more so gets tripped up by John yeah. Feliciano. So yeah, if he yeah. could have avoided that kind of
2: contact there. This could have been a big play. Could have been a house call potentially with old like we've seen Saquon make house calls like that in the past. So great play there. And then we have the Tyrod Taylor conversion here.
1: Yeah, this is just a third and two 13 yard zone read by Tyrod Taylor, who does a really good job cutting this ball. Inside of the numbers, where there's two blockers and taking it for a first down, 13 yards here. This is something that Tyrod Taylor can do. Like we said on the quick reaction podcast, I feel like he's a little bit reckless at times <laughs> with it, and it yeah. leads to him getting injured and, and things like that. But still, I really respect him as a player. But I like this play, man. So this is the interception. Don't like that part of it. Thought the throw was a little inside. Definitely didn't like Darius Slayton just kind of being like, "Oh, Eddie Jackson's going to pick this off." Okay, I'm cool with that. Even Damn. though it was a fantastic interception by eddie jackson but who's on the field here Dan? two vertical routes and that's basically all the routes that are run the giants are expecting the bears to defend the run here you have your backup quarterback in so the giants take a shot they have darius slayton at the top of the screen and then marcus johnson speedster 438 marcus johnson former indianapolis colt former san francisco 49er marcus johnson on the field this is his only play so you know the giants dialed this shot up and it's covered very well by the middle of the field close safety Eddie Jackson right here. It's off the play
2: action. Yeah. He plays Eddie Eddie Jackson. Oh, the range right here. And the throw is is a little bit inside. I gotta say though, man, like, yes, the throw is a little inside, but if they can, if, if Eddie Jackson doesn't play this so well, it might work. Like this is such a good play by Jackson. He doesn't for one second, believe that anything but a vertical route is going to happen here. Like he doesn't break toward anything. They leave the middle of the field wide open. The bears here for any kind of deep in breaker.
1: Yeah, the Giants are aligned in a pretty condensed form. You just have right. the two wide receivers who are outside, and then you just have tight ends, two yep. tight ends that that are in there. But Tyrod Taylor also off the play action just kind of looks right in Darius Slayton's direction. He doesn't yeah. look the safety he off has or look pressure, to be fair, down. a little bit of pressure. He definitely had some pressure as well, kind of coming in. It looks like one of the tight ends kind of gave it's up Chris Myrick. And right here though, like I understand, it's it's very easy for me to say this sitting in my computer chair, but. I don't even know if Darius Slayton was aware that Eddie Jackson was this close, but he kind of pulls
2: up at the last second. Yeah, like he should be fighting to stop this from being intercepted. You're 100 percent right.
1: Because even if Darius Slayton lowers his shoulder, he's not going to get called for OPI here yeah. unless he does something crazy. Like, you're going for the football in yep. this situation. This is such a tough catch by Eddie Jackson. Over the shoulder he's like that. Sick, this is such a that... sick
2: catch by Jackson. Who is this? No, I know Eddie Jackson. He's one of the yeah, better he... safes in the NFL. But it's like, he's making acrobatic receiver-like catches on this play. He, was one, he was one of the...
1: He was one of the... He was one of the my favorite players in that draft. But he had like so many injuries at Alabama, so he fell to I think day three yes. or something ridiculous.
2: And he's been a baller. He was when a he fourth round him. pick. Crazy. Yeah. I remember him falling, and I was just like, just take a just take a it's just a good lesson. Take a swing on those guys. Like two years ago was the offense alignment from the Chiefs who we wanted from Tennessee. Like they, right yeah, like just once you got to day three, swing on the talent. Whatever, dude. Like, what are you losing out on? You're not losing out on much. Like half the time, these these guys you love and you scout, you talk to, they have great person, they don't work out. Go for the talent. But yeah, I I agree with you here. They really. I, I think it's on Slayton here to try to make a play at least at, the, at breaking it up for Jackson.
1: He just pulls up right here. Like, look, yeah, he kind of shies too. away from it. It's yep. very,
2: very odd to see. Odd. But yeah, that ended up account for that when they watch the tape back. I'm sure the coaches are looking at that like, dude, what are you doing here?
1: I don't understand how like the receivers who have had good seasons in the past on mm-hmm. the New York Giants are doing everything to not play. They're doing everything to allow. David Sills to earn 90% of the snaps. Am I That's wrong?
2: Crazy. No, you're 100% right. It's a weird situation going right now. And you have Kadarius Tony, a guy who they they put everything in the first round pick. We've seen the He's talent. Injured, Can't though. stay healthy. We have Rondo Robinson gets injured the first week. Galladay can't get on the field over Sills. Slayden doing stupid things like this. It's just crazy. I know it's annoying too, but that sets up this yeah. long drive right then. Yep. Sets up the next drive for the giants. This was a, in a lot of ways, like a, I don't want to call it a game ceiling drive, but it was a game defining drive just in the sense that they needed something here to get going to kind of give themselves a few more points to extend. At that point, it was 17, 12 giants. And you know, a touchdown here wins it. If, if they didn't score any more points, a touchdown for the bears wins them a game, or they were still in position to maybe have like two drives. So they get one field goal, 15, one field goal, 18, they win by one. Instead, the giants go 13 plays, 54 yards with the field goal to kind of give him that eight point lead. Yes, it's still a one score game, but at that point now the bears need, would need a touchdown and a two point version
1: Yeah. And the giants start out with 12 personnel to start. And then they motion Sills in to be a 13 personnel on that second down play. And Hamilton is just beat bad again. I mean, he was a fun story in preseason, but watch Angela Blackson yeah. just club swim over the top tackle Saquon Barkley that's textbook right there in terms of penetrating if you want to avoid a block and Devery Hamilton gets caught leaning Gets caught leaning a little bit there Glowinski is going to chip but he avoids the chip as well and then Glowinski does a good job picking up 53 if Hamilton can execute this block right here it's going to be a little hole but 58 would more than likely be there to make that tackle on Saquon Barkley
2: yep good breakdown by you. Let's get to the third and four here. I thought this was one of the best individual plays by anyone on the field for the Giants. And this is Tyrod Taylor. This is a dead to rights play where everyone should be tackled in the backfield here for no gain. Third and four drive over punt the football. He executes a really good pivot spin here where he just gets just like freakishly good by Tyrod Taylor there. This is 99 out of a hundred times a quarterback is being a quarterback, not named like a Kyler Murray. Obviously that guy always spins out of it, but like, it's really hard here. You need to be like smaller as a quarterback. You need to be more agile. I feel like his size works in his, his lack of size works in his favor here. And he just puts his foot in the dirt and execute. Look at that spin. That looks so good on film. Well,
1: he's a, he's a smooth cat that smells good. Is
2: smooth. Yeah. He's a smooth runner with the football. He's reckless with it, like you said, but he's smooth and he's got like good inside. Like even on the run you broke down earlier where you had the run to the right on the zone read, it was a nice cutback, like you said, to the middle okay. of the field. It was almost like a, he almost has like running back vision in my mind when I watch him run, which I don't feel like I've seen from a lot of the running quarterbacks. And this is a great example of that here as well. And this was just a really good individual play by Tyrod Taylor that on, again, on a third and four, drive's gonna be over. They're not gonna extend it for this eventually field goal. They're gonna have to punt. Less time's gonna come off the clock. There's more time for the Bears to make a comeback because this drive started with 12.05 in the fourth. And so they needed some first downs here. They needed to run that clock. And more importantly, they need, like I said earlier, they need to get the field goal. So great job by Taylor there. I wanted to point that one out.
1: And also, this is a good adjustment by Alan Williams and the Chicago Bears. But first, let's show the RPO tags that are on this play. Again, Mike Kafka going into the RPO, the zone read element right here that you can see going into the mesh point, sees the defender crashing down hard. We'll go over that in a bit, but you have Tanner Hudson in the flat. You have the bubble to the backside the Giants haven't thrown since they started running this RPO tag, but it's just a backside little play adjustment that they have. But watch what the Chicago Bears do here, because this is something that you can do to adjust when you're getting absolutely gashed by these play action rollouts. They scrape and replace or they were they scrape and replace essentially. So you have 94. He's crashing down really hard. You're probably thinking like, man, how undisciplined, but not on this play. 94 is told. If he goes into the mesh point, you're just crashing down on Saquon Barkley. Anything to Saquon Barkley, you're crashing down on that. Now, watch 58. He replaces him as that contained defender. It's scrape and replace right here. So now 58 is right there. Tyron Taylor goes into the mesh point. He's like, oh, dude, this guy's screaming down again. I'm just going to hand, or I'm just going to keep the football here. I'm going to have an easy, oh, crap. Now 58 is right in my (laughs) face, but then he still just makes a miss because he's just incredibly elusive. So that's just a nice little defensive adjustment by the Chicago Bears. I mean, you know, a little, maybe two and a half quarters late, but still.
2: Yeah, and just goes to show, even when you perfectly adjust like the defense did there, if you have the right athlete, you can still make them pay.
1: Absolutely. And then we have this little second and 11 after a negative one-yard gain by oh, Saquon Barkley. This is this is uh, Darius Slayton's, what, first catch of the season? Ends up going for 11 yards on an easy curl flat. Tyrod Taylor, this is just what we call throwing into the window that opens because number nine right here is going to take the flat With Saquon Barkley, he runs the flat. Number nine just runs over to cover him, and that creates a throwing window right there. So Tyrod Taylor is waiting for nine to clear the window, and then once Darius Slayton just turns quickly, he has plenty of space between him and his covering cornerback. Easy pitch and catch, and I felt like Darius Slayton did a good job picking up extra yardage here.
2: And another example of a very nice pocket for the quarterback. We've seen in this game more good pockets from quarterbacks to throw from than I can remember in a lot of these other games here. Um, It's not perfect, but it's there for him to step into this throw. Really pretty damn clean there. So it's a quick game, obviously, but still.
1: Yeah, it's a quick game. And then we had an RPO on the second and seven. That was a drop by Sills that set up the third and seven where Tyrod Taylor ends up getting hurt. And Sills got to catch that football. Well, we're not going to go over thing, that play.
2: Like, Sills, if you're dropping that pass as Sills, you're yeah, just, you don't belong on the field. And I'm willing to say that right now. I hate to say it. Sills Army, stand down. Don't kill me. But I, I'm losing my faith fast with Sills. I don't see what he offers at all if he's not making these kinds of catches. Oh, it's just like God. a horrific drop by him, dude. And he doesn't like, it's like, what is he giving the Giants right now? An occasional back shoulder fight for a ball. He doesn't create separation. He's no vertical threat. He's not really good at adjusting the balls in the air. He, he has nothing after the catch. And he's dropping easy RPO hits like this. You have to freaking catch. Like, this can never be dropped. Straight up yeah. can never be dropped but I
1: like this read by Tyrod. because This is an RPO right here. Just a quick little glance, little slant right there. And also this is a good break by David Sills. We talk about this plenty throughout the years on the podcast, but he releases and watch him lean into the contact. You can see his, his step or his direction is going to be inside on a slant route, but you can see how he's bending and leaning outside. And then he Goes right into his break, and then he just uses his arm. He's not yes. fully extending, but he's using his arm to create that separation against twenty-two. This is how David Sills is supposed is going to create separation in the NFL. And watch, he does. It's a little push off. Not going to get called unless yeah, it's like never a full, call that. Yep, a full egregious extension. Just use your flipper, and you have to catch that football. And that's over the, the middle shame
2: of, the of it. He does a good job all the yep. way through until the catch point where he drops it. But like, you just can't drop that. It's just an unacceptable drop.
1: Absolutely. And that sets up this third and seven where Tyrod Taylor is like, yo, I go big or I go home. I don't give an F. It doesn't matter. And he just gets absolutely walloped on this play. I hope he's okay.
2: Yeah, I hope he's okay, too, because I saw enough from Tyrod in this game that I feel like he can do a good job of operating as a backup role if they need to give Jones a week or two off, and that I feel like can give them a much better chance to win than Davis Webb. So hopefully he can be okay. I was trying to look at this play. Very lucky. We're very lucky, right? Yeah, he's out of bounds. Yes, yes, yes. But I was trying to look at Taylor after the play to kind of feel like, but I mean, look, I don't want to be a doctor, an on-air doctor. So we'll just hope he goes through the protocol and he's all right.
1: And basically everything after this is just Saquon Barkley as the and you could <laughs> wow. tell when he was up on the, po- when he was up on the podium, Dan, he was, he was giddy, but he was also trying to be respectful. Of the fact that it's his teammates that are injured that put him into this yeah. position that he loved to be in, but he loved the fact that he was able to touch the football on every play.
2: Yeah. It's pretty cool as a running back, right? Like you're, you're able to either hand the ball off. Like he does a good job of here of making the decision to hand it to Brita here. Um, for the biggest gain out of the wild. Let's go
1: through his mind, right? Yeah, You want to go through his mind? He's reading 55 right here, right? 55, steps down, pinches, give the football to Brita. I would say that's the right read right there. Brita's very explosive. Allow him to make plays with his legs. I feel like that's something that the Giants haven't done too much this season, but when they've used it, it's worked. He's the one explosive playmaker that we don't talk about a lot. He's
2: pretty explosive, man, whenever he gets the ball. Yep. I agree. I, like I was saying earlier, like, I think Breida should be on the field. It's tough to, I don't like, look, I don't want to say he should be on the field more. It's hard to get multiple running backs on the field at once, but as far as just pure speed and explosion that goes besides Barkley, <laughs> I, I don't really know who else offers more right now for the giants. I'm not sure. Maybe Jones is a runner. Uh, I don't know, but um, watch, watch
1: right here. He's watching number nine right here.
2: Number nine steps to this way. You can see Saquon Barkley is
1: looking directly at him. Screw that. I'm just going to follow my blocker right here and pick up the yardage that I can. So even on these zone read plays, this is something that Barkley has worked in practice, but it's not something they're doing every day. It's something that they might work on game plan specific things like they did in week two and against Carolina where they ran it down on the red zone. They probably ran it a lot that week, but other than that, they probably don't do it like every single day or anything like that. So it's pretty cool that he was able to step in here, make the right reads. He did it again right here. 55 steps down, hand the football off to Brita. Yeah, doesn't go for as long, but it's just good plays by, by Saquon Barkley. And it sets up the third and five where they end up doing a
2: zone read on zone read, just the read out of Barkley. Good job, bud.
1: Yeah, good job, Saquon Barkley. <laughs>
2: like you said, I mean, not, like, oh, they ran it once in the red zone, but they're not practicing this every day, so.
1: Exactly, and under- then it, the Giants pull backside players to the front side. This isn't something that we've seen yet, and Daniel Jones is in the game, Saquon Barkley, trying to just be a distraction for Gary Brightwell, but the Bears play this pretty well. Once they read the key of both those yeah. pullers, you can see the linebackers react, oh, yeah. and they also know that Daniel's... <laughs> Daniel Jones doesn't have the, the feet at this point, but still look at the respect that they're paying Daniel Jones with the scrape and replace from 45. It's like, yeah, a little late there, but
2: he <laughs> looks a little better there. Jones, like kind of backpedaling there. It just looked a little bit less injured on that. So take that for what it's worth. Hopefully, you know, hopefully after he got it taped up, he, he was able to find more mobility because that, if he's going to play, he's going to probably have it taped up, but yeah, let's move on to this next drive. I mean, there's uh, really
1: nothing. Yeah. Nothing there's no, yeah. For the rest of the game, we yep. can probably get into superlatives,
2: but I'll just run these plays so people can see them. Sure, so. while we're doing the superlatives. All right, let's dive into some superlatives then from this game, Two. if you know how. But let's start with unheralded player of the game. That's the one I was going to guess anyway. Who's your unheralded player of the game on film, Nick?
1: Unheralded player of the game for the offensive side of the football for me? I think I'm going to go with
2: Don't pick my John...
1: Team. I think I'm going to go with John Feliciano. I think John Fel- I think John Feliciano. He's somebody who we haven't praised yet, and we we've dinged a little bit, but I think we appreciate the toughness and the knowledge that he brings to this offensive line room. And I think he is somebody who made a bunch of key blocks to spring Saquon Barkley in this game. So as in terms
2: of unheralded, I'm going to go with Feliciano. It was a tough call for me. I had a couple picks I was looking at. I ended up going with Ben Bredesen in this game. I thought he had his best game with as a Giant overall. I also thought that it was cool to see him have to kind of execute a responsibility. He wasn't totally expecting, albeit not for that many snaps. But when Gluinski went out, he had to kick over to right guard. I think he did a good job overall. The other guy I would put in there, and it could be any of the three, would be Bellinger, Myrick, or Tanner Hudson. I would lean Hudson because he was a part of the passing game as well and a part of some of the biggest blocks that these tight ends made in this game, including yeah. touchdown runs. So it would probably be Hudson and Bredesen for me as. But a that top. drop, that drop, did though. Have the drop. He did have the one drop. Yeah,
1: I think I would go give it to Bredesen over him just because I'm of sure that. Bredesen
2: had some missed assignments. I mean, Who knows?
1: That's a big one, though, man. When you're a receiver know, or a know, tight end and your number yeah, is called, ah, yeah. oh, have yeah. you ever been there in a sport when when your number is oh, called and you fail, you miss a shot, or 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 you know the, the puck gets put right on your stick and you just you fan <laughs> on it. Oh,
2: it's terrible, dude. It's not a good feeling whatsoever, but so, yeah, I think you talked me into it. Let's go Bredesen there, and you went with Feliciana. two offensive linemen. That's good. Best route run that you saw on tape? It would have to be the Richie James route, I think.
1: Okay. I think the Tanner Hudson one, it, you could probably go with that one. I, I definitely put a lot of consideration into that, but Richie James being able to work back inside, not even through his athletic ability and a short-air quickness, but what he did with his hands just to kind of yeah. chop and work against the – the defensive back work underneath him because the way the defensive back was on top of him and allow Richie James to cut underneath him, put himself, Richie James, that is, into a very, very good situation. So I'm going to go with that Richie James route that we broke down.
2: I'm also going with the James route. Yeah, you could talk about the the route where Hudson did a good job with his release and stacking, but ultimately that James route was clearly, to me, the best route they ran. How about the best throw of the game by Daniel Jones?
1: I think it's probably the throw along the sidelines that we broke down Hudson. To Tanner Hudson, that was dropped. I think that's
2: easily the best throw. Um, yeah. I'm still, but I'm going to go with the Hudson throw. Yeah. Best player overall.
1: Best player overall. I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley in this one. I know every week we're just bouncing <laughs> back and forth. Yeah, it's one or the games. other. Andrew Thomas and Saquon Barkley. It could easily have been Andrew Thomas because yeah. he was a beast. I felt like Evan Neal was much improved in this game as well in his snap. So that's steps in the right direction. Again, I think it's more game plan specific, more so than just him developing, but still any steps in the right direction is development. So I'm going to go with Saquon though.
2: This is a tough one for me. I think I want to, I think Saquon Barkley was the best player in this game, but I'll just give it to Andrew Thomas just because he deserves a nod and we haven't really mentioned him too much. He's just getting to that point where like, just because we're not mentioning him doesn't mean he's not freaking playing his balls off because sometimes with offensive linemen, you don't mention them and that's not a bad thing. But in this game specifically, as you broke down earlier, as we talked about earlier, Nick, there are multiple plays where he put his, put his assignment on the ground, which is always a good sign. And he had a really difficult assignment. That's probably the reason I'm going to give it to him over Barkley, though it's of course close. And I could totally understand Barkley. Because Robert Quinn is a has a developed into a really good pass rusher in the NFL. So it was a really tough matchup for him. And he handled it with ease. So I'll give him that one. How about the pass blocking grade on a one to ten scale? So
1: how many traditional pass sets did they have? A half. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> nah, uh, I, <laughs> I guess I'll go with based on what Mike Kafka ran. I'm going to go with a a seven and a half. I mean, it was pretty good. It, it was yeah. good, but again, it was more so because of the scheme and what they were being asked to do, but I don't want to hold that against them in terms of the superlative. So let's go with the seven and a half. I'll
2: go 8.8. I know it's higher. And, it, and if I think like the only reason our grades are so far off is because I'm not, I think you're factoring in as you might be, should be like the fact that they just weren't doing any true pass sets. So the sample size is much smaller, but I just felt like, and not any, they weren't doing many, I should say. They still had those third and long. I just felt like overall the pocket was so much cleaner. Andrew Thomas did an amazing job individually. Evan Neal had a much better game though. Again, wasn't tested as much, but still had a better game. And the interior, especially for me was the biggest difference. Now, part of that may just be the matchup. Like we, we never talk about this a lot. I feel like it as, as not us on this podcast, I mean, in general, as as analysts of the game, like across the board, as you look through the giant landscape, but matchups are like a key thing that no one talks about. Like, oh my god, he had such a good game today. Well, all right, was Jeffrey Simmons there? No. Oh my god, he had such a bad game today. All right, was Jeffrey Simmons there? Yes. And like that's the difference a lot of these times. The Bears had nothing really that of any kind of threat outside of Robert Quinn to me on that defensive front. So. Part of it is matchup, but at the same time, as far as what they were asked to do, there were a lot of clean pockets for these quarterbacks to step into both, both examples for Jones and Taylor. So I give it an eight and say, guan- one, right. All right. Run blocking grade. We'll wrap up there. grade one to 10
1: run blocking grade. I'm going to go with a good 8.7. I think it was very, very impressive. I felt like they adjusted well at the second level. They used defensive positioning against them. I feel like the Bears made it very, very easy for the Giants to run the football because they were so damn undisciplined for the majority of this game. So let's go with a very strong 8.7. I feel like once Evan Neal left, it it went down and it suffered. And we saw the Bears adjust, which says something too. I know Evan Neal hasn't had the prettiest start here in New York, but... Once he left the game, the Giants kind of struggled a little bit to run the football, and Devery Hamilton did not look all that great. And why should he? I mean, this is a, a backup coming into the game for the you know basically the first time in a while.
2: Not only a backup, a backup without any draft capital or any real reason for us to believe he has like a long term uh, future in the NFL. For being honest, so yes, I think Evan Neal, after admitting last week was his worst game of his career, he was like stunned when I heard him in the press conference after Dallas. He's like, I didn't even know I could have a game that bad. Like he just has, you know, he played at Bama. He had a really good high school career and he was actually, he just wasn't used to that kind of failure. And he bounced back perfectly. As you said, it was notable's difference. So overall, I'm going 9 1 with the run blocking. For me, I'm factoring in just how well the tight ends blocked, the receivers blocked. That's all going into my grade. This was almost as good as it gets. Was it perfect at all times? No. But to churn out that many yards with that many carries when the defense knows that's all you're really going to do in this game. I think it, a case giving even nine one might be a little too low, like who knows? like they did almost everything right here. there weren't, but I know why why it can't be that full ten or anywhere close to that as well. So we'll wrap up there. Thank you for everyone tuning in. Some of you, hopefully a lot of you who have asked in the past, oh. I want to go over and watch what you guys are breaking down. We're going to you're going to have that opportunity, hopefully crossing our fingers right now. If you're watching along, you probably see this stupid motion I'm making crossing two of my fingers as Nick cheers us with a glass of what's probably just water with a drop of like this weird Mio thing that he used to drink. Now, it's ice. It's
1: re-advertising.
2: By the way, I don't even know why you drink that, dude. That's like a chemical based drink that probably has like bad chemicals in it. You should take a look at the back of that. And, oh, and I've just looked at it plenty of times. I know. It's... <laughs> of course you have. I, um, what do they put my, in
1: uh, it? Well, it definitely, it probably. Let's see if it has aspartame in it, which I don't love to consume. Nobody
2: wants You should definitely not be consuming aspartame. No,
1: there, there is no aspartame in this. So, how are they sweetening that thing up? There is a little bit of sugar, but it's, it's negligible. According to this, there's only
2: five <laughs> calories in this bad boy. It's like so, the alcohol sugars they call it. I always think whenever I see that. on No, I course. always,
1: I always, that's for I think yeah, that's, that's just, the they, they found a loophole, you know? Yeah. And that's I, like not
2: good for you. Anytime they find a loophole, that's can't be good for you health wise. But anyway, he's cheersing with a glass of non-alcoholic. But that's fair. You know, that's Nick Filato for you. But look, hopefully you guys will get to enjoy this. We want to put this up. I thought Nick. As we do a little debriefing here, this went as smooth as this could have possibly gone for our first time with zero planning whatsoever. How did you feel? Do you feel like it was fun? Do you feel like it was useful to go through the plays like that?
1: Absolutely. I hope the listeners get something out of it and please provide us feedback on anything that you want us to adjust. If you want me to rewind plays a certain way, if you don't like how I rewind it, anything like that, just give us feedback. It's a very fluid situation and we're learning on the fly.
2: Exactly. And then final thing I would say on that is if you are listening and you want to know where to find this, if and we're going to we're, we're leaning toward this is going to go up, I feel I feel like we can do it so you'll be able to find this on our YouTube page. It hasn't been heavily promoted by us or touted. It's still in the early goings. We haven't built it up yet. We did start to gain some followers and some traction, but the YouTube page is Big Blue Banter. It's probably easy to find. You just type in Big Blue Banter on YouTube. And that's where you'll find this exact podcast, but with us showing the all 22 plays and then breaking it down. We haven't had a video up there in quite some time, which is fine because look, we're bringing it back here. But as I'm clicking it now and trying to look at how you can follow it, I think the easiest way I can say is just go to Big Blue Banter. Oh, whoop! I just had Nick Nick's voice pop up. Hopefully you didn't hear that in there. We can edit that out maybe. But look, head over to Big Blue Banter on YouTube. You'll find us hit subscribe, hit like, hit notifications, and you'll find out when these new videos drop. But our plan is to get up these two videos every week, the offense and the defense uh, film breakdowns, and then maybe more. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see where the page goes. If it starts to take off, we'll obviously be more interested in growing it. So that's on all of us. So anyway, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you very soon defensive pod coming tomorrow. Film breakdown on the defense. That's what I'm very excited for. I'm going to be honest, Nick. uh, I think you are too. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch how they just absolutely dismantle Justin Fields and that Bears passing offense.